Thank you very much. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Welcome everybody to the June 23rd, 2021 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. We'll get into our business, but first I'd like to turn it over to Becky Pepper, who can um, explain the, the rules for this Zoom call. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Kyle Kobe, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. We'll also work alongside the Chair, who's on video remote, to facilitate the, video the meeting proceedings. Currently, we have everyone muted so that we can talk through the general ground rules for tonight's meeting. This meeting is being broadcast, recorded and broadcast live on the City's YouTube channel. During the meeting, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found in the lower left-hand corner of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you're muted, a red line will appear over the icon. This will make it easier for everyone to hear the meeting. Just remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. You can also turn your video camera on and off by clicking the video icon in the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on for the duration. If you're participating by phone, you can enter star six to mute and unmute your phone. Somewhere on your Zoom screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, while gallery view tiles all of the meeting participants. Commissioners, you must state your name and title each time you speak. Members of city staff must also state their name and title each time they speak. And I would also ask the applicants and members of the public to identify themselves each time they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button, which is located at the bottom of their screen. Android, Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button, located at the bottom right hand corner of the screen. And for those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. And when you're called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct you to the podium to speak while following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three-minute time limit will apply. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each commissioner individually to provide their vote. Staff will then need Staff will then need announce whether the motion carried and count of the vote. I would again remind everyone to please mute yourself when you're not speaking. And now I'll turn the meeting over to the chair. Luke Sinclair, chair. Thank you, Becky. Um, so we, there's no general business tonight, so we'll look to uh, section B, the communications. Do we have any written communications from the public that need to be received? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. All communications were included as part of your packet. Very good, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, are there any written communications from staff or planning commissioners or other commissioners that need to be received? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. We have none this evening. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you. Um, what about any written action of waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Uh, none of those tonight either. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, do we have any commissioners that need to disclose any ex parte communications? Uh, Commissioner Willie. 
Karen Willey, Planning Commissioner. I did meet with uh, Mark and Carrie Smeltzer at their home um, uh, and had a site visit uh, for item number two. Um, everything that we talked about is probably included in the communication that uh, Carrie Smeltzer has, has in our packet. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth. Yes, Commissioner Ashworth, um, I too had a meeting with a group of neighbors at the site for item number two, and the items discussed um, are in the packet. Thank you very much, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner, same as Commissioner Ashworth and Commissioner Willard. Thank you, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Rexrod. Yes, Commissioner Rexrod. Um, I was at the uh, same meeting with uh, Commissioners uh, Ashworth and Commissioner Carter. Um, same feedback. Thank you very much. Luke Sinclair Chair, any other uh, disclosures of ex parte communications? Very good. Um, how about, are there any uh, commissioners that need to uh, abstain from any specific agenda items? I'm not seeing any. I'm glad to hear that, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, with that, I, the next portion is um, our, our time of general public comment. Um, this is a time where we open up the floor to members of the public that would like to offer thoughts and comments on items of uh, general interest, not having to do with any of the specific agenda items that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, if there is any member of the public on the call, um, if you'd raise your hand either physically or with a little digital um, feature, please do so uh, and, and I will recognize you. And Kyle, I'm not seeing anybody raising their hand. Would you be able to confirm that? And then also just confirm for me that there's no one in the commission chambers too? Kyle Kobe with planning. Uh, I'm not seeing any hands going up either. Um, and uh, we do not have anybody here for a general public comment. Very well. Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, with that, we'll turn to our regular agenda. Uh, we have two items. Um, Tonight, both of them have uh, subparts. Uh, there was a third item, but it has been deferred. Um, so we'll just jump into our first item, um, which is 1A and B. Uh, 1A is to consider approving a request to rezone uh, Z-21-00142, approximately 0.71 acres from RS7 PD uh, district to RSO district located at 1223 Iowa Street. That's 1A. 1B is to consider approving a preliminary plat PP-21-00143 for Maple subdivision and associated variance for reduction of right-of-way width along a principal arterial street located at 1223 Iowa Street as well. Uh, and for uh, the presentation from uh, planning staff, I believe we have Catherine. Yes, good evening, commissioners. Catherine Reek, planning staff, and I'm here. We have three, well, two items, but three interrelated action items. So you'll need to remember after I talk about all of the items that you will need to take three separate actions on these items. The first, as mentioned, um, is a rezoning request. The property is located at 1223 Iowa Street. Uh, the proposed rezoning is for infill development, and they're proposing re uh, rezoning from the RS7 PD which is Planned Development Overlay District, 
to RSO, which is single uh, residential, single dwelling residential district. So this particular property, as I said, is infill development. Um, the reason for the application, uh, the property owner wishes, um, well, the RS7 PD zoning district is no longer applicable. Um, that previous development has not developed as it was intended or as it was approved back in the day. Um, they would like to rezone to a comparable zoning district that would permit uh, residential uses as well as um, neighborhood office or professional type uses. So that is the reason for the request. Um, this particular property is unplatted property. There is, as you saw, an associated preliminary plat with this property to also plat the property. Um, their proposal is to split the property and rezone to RSO, and they would be developing with two duplexes on the site. The intention is for there to be a mix of, or the opportunity for a mix of low density residential and or uh, professional office type uses along the Iowa Street corridor. So uh, in reviewing for rezoning application, of course, we take into account the eight criteria, um, whether or not it's um, in conformance with the comprehensive plan, the nearby zoning and its compatibility to nearby zoning, neighborhood characteristics, um, whether or not it's an area plan, um, the suitability as it is restricted, whether or not the property is vacant, any detrimental effects that it might have on neighboring properties, and whether there is a gain versus hardship um, if you were to deny the application. Um, so this particular uh, proposal to rezone, staff has found that it is in conformance with the comprehensive plan. This provides an opportunity for infill development, which is one of the goals of the comprehensive plan. The property is not located in a specific sector plan area. This particular property has developments all around it. It's um, never been platted. All of the property around it has been rezoned and replatted under previous actions and has developed over time. And it is along the Iowa Street corridor, which is a principal arterial uh, street. So whether or not staff found that it was suitable uh, for the neighboring surrounding zoning districts, they're proposing to rezone to RSO, which is immediately adjacent to the property to the north. There are some similar uses in the RSO district along that Iowa Street corridor that has um, small business or office type uses and residential uses. It is on the edge of a residential RS7 neighborhood, um, the edge being the Iowa Street corridor and this property immediately abuts the Iowa Street corridor. So staff did find that it's compatible to nearby zoning um, and the surrounding property development that's taking place. Um, the property is not vacant, it's currently um, occupied by a single detached dwelling this particular rezoning would not uh, prohibit that use if for some reason the concept plans uh, were changed and they did not want to develop as uh, duplexes, the single detached dwelling could still um, be permitted in the RSO district. So we would not be eliminating any single family residential. The opportunity is still there for that, but the rezoning does um, open up the opportunity for other types of low density housing um, as well as neighborhood office or professional office type uses. Um, staff found that uh, there were no significant or impacts detrimental to neighbor neighboring properties 
Um, as I mentioned, the surrounding zoning is very similar um, to what has developed around. There is RS7 uh, to the west, RSO to the north. There is additional RS7 and RM12 across Iowa Street. Uh, primarily, this area has developed with single-family detached dwellings. There's one multifamily development slightly to the southeast. Um, and then north along the Iowa corridor and scattered among that Iowa corridor in this area is small office type commercial uses. So staff found that it is compatible with the character of the neighborhood um, and meets the overall goals of the comprehensive plan. So staff is recommending approval for um, the rezoning proposal from RS7 with the PD overlay district to RS7. Moving into uh, the preliminary plat, um, again, this preliminary plat is proposing to divide this unplatted property into two separate uh, lots, both of which um, would maintain frontage on Iowa Street. However, because this is a principal arterial and additional or driveways are prohibited on arterial streets, um, these uh, solution proposed by um, our engineering department um, for safe um, access off of Iowa Street is to maintain the existing access that currently exists on the property without introducing an additional driveway. And so these two parcels, while they both maintain the adequate amount of frontage um, on uh, Iowa Street would take single access off of the existing driveway. Um, so they would orient sort of to the south um, and taking access off that joint um, access drive, which would maintain uh, the um, safe usage of Iowa Street and um, Article 9 with the prohibition of additional driveways off of a principal arterial. So staff evaluated whether or not this particular proposal to divide the property into two lots conforms to all the criteria for preliminary plotting. Staff found that it does. It maintains all of the dimensional standards for lot width, lot area, access. Um, infrastructure is already surrounding the property. There does, um, it will require some extensions in public infrastructure during the final plotting process. Um, and the applicant will be required to submit public improvement plans at that time. So get a preliminary plat, just to refresh your memory, is a part of a two-step um, process. The preliminary plat is what comes before the planning commission, and, and you all ensure that it conforms uh, to the comprehensive plan and the criteria for uh, land divisions. And then the final plat document, um, if approved, or if the preliminary plat is, is approved, would come uh, to the planning office, and that's an administrative action as long as it conforms uh, to the preliminary plat approval. So staff is also recommending approval of the preliminary plat. And then a third action required by the planning um, commission is associated with this preliminary plat is a request for variance from uh, the right-of-way width. So right-of-way width um, along the principal arterial is required to be 150 feet. Um, and the applicant is requesting uh, that reduction from 150 feet down to 90 feet. So the, the right-of-way width along Iowa Street, which is already in existence, ranges along the strip ranges from 80 feet to 100 feet um, in any given area. 
the applicant here is proposing to um, increase what is currently on the side at 80 feet from to 90 feet. Um, they're not, there's no proposal for additional widening, widening of Iowa Street. Sidewalks and infrastructure are already in, so there is no additional right-of-way required for this particular plat. So the applicant is uh, requesting a variance for the existing condition that, that is um, adjacent to this site. And so I would be happy to clarify any of those. Oh, I should mention that um, when there's a variance request, there are three criteria that we consider um, for approval of a variance and um, all three criteria are to be met to grant the variance. And in review, staff did find that all three criteria in this instance have been met and are recommending approval of the variance request as well. I would be happy to answer any questions or provide any clarifications if you should have them. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you very much, Catherine. Um, for the applicant, I believe we have Dean Grobe. Uh, yes, good evening, Commissioner Dean Grobe. Grove Engineering, uh, property owner and resident uh, at 1223 Iowa. Um, I don't have much to add. I think Catherine did a great job of explaining everything. Um, you know, I think with the, the, the zoning, um, I looked at kind of all possible options and, you know, the RSOs seem to fit in kind of threefold. Um, one, it's, it's the same zoning uh, as the adjacent property. Uh, it gives me a little flexibility. Um, I'm not quite for retirement age, but would like to move my office to my home, uh, which may ultimately be a, a home occupation category, but was concerned if I did something that overstepped those bounds, you know, then I couldn't have my office there. Um, and and um, thirdly, uh, my intention is to put a, a second duplex where the existing house is, um, but with the cost of lumber, several people have suggested that maybe that house could be uh, renovated, uh, maybe resituated, the foundation needs work, but it could stay or it could be remodeled and have another unit put with it for a duplex. So that just seemed to be kind of the best fit, um, how I got to RSO. Uh, I think the planning is Pretty straightforward. Um, one thing with the, the, the cross access easement, we have room to, you know, the lots have room to turn around, so there'll never be any need for anybody to be backing out on Iowa to enter or exit the property. So, um, and, and, and it may not be evident, but the property behind it um, is owned by myself and my six siblings. Um, we don't do anything with the property, but no, and um, so we just maintain it and the thoughts that, you know, some development later, um, for the city has indicated, you know, any access for, or any use of the, or access from Iowa would be prohibited for that subdivision. So it's just a temporary drive until that gets redeveloped. Um, and I'll, I'll be happy to answer any questions. Um, anybody's got anything. Thank you, Mr. Grobe. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, I don't show anybody as being registered to comment on this, but now is the time for public comment. If there is anybody on this call um, that would like to speak, uh, you would have three minutes to offer your comments. Um, just raise your hand uh, digitally or physically. 
Kyle Kobe with planning right now. I'm not seeing any hands going up and um, we do not have anyone in the room to speak on this item. Okay. Um, Luke Sinclair chair, then we'll bring it back to, uh, to the commission for discussion. Um, and just to, to confirm uh, before we launch in, uh, Catherine, we, there, there'd be one vote on 1A on the rezoning and then actually two separate votes on 1B, one for the plat and then one for the variance. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So there would be three motions and three action votes. Okay. Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you very much. Um, with that, uh, are there any questions or comments that any commissioners have? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. I have a question for Catherine. So uh, in, in Mr. Grove's letter in probably, uh, well, not, in probably item 1B, um, there's mention of a second uh, variance request for rear setback. Has that already been resolved before it got to us? Um, no, so that is scheduled to be heard by the Board of Zoning Appeals. Um, that is a setback variance, which is um, something that's impacted by the actual construction that would take place on the site and not a land division action. So that variance is going to be Board of Zoning. Got it. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, anybody else? So Commissioner Rexrode. Yes, thank you. Commissioner Rexrode, a question for Mr. Grob. Um, the area immediately behind that which you intend to build contains a barn and, and a bit of activity. What, what activity is back there today? And do you anticipate that changing um, once you uh, build the new structures? Uh, no, as I mentioned, um, my brother and I own the property that's being discussed this evening, uh, but myself and my six siblings own that. Uh, it belonged to, originally was part of the they both were part of one property uh, that my grandparents bought in 1945. My aunt got the property in discussion tonight. My dad got the property in the back. And so it, it transferred to the seven kids. And it's, it's kind of by committee, so they can't figure out who wants to do what. But someday it would be RS7, um, and it would be developed from University Drive and Parish Road west of this property. So right now we just mow the property and hang out there and with all the seven kids, we kind of store all the junk that everybody has on, on that property. But, you know, no future use um, at this point. Mr. Rexler, thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Any other questions? Commissioner Carter. Thank you, uh, David Carter, Commissioner. Uh, Mr. Grobe, um, I noticed from the staff report that the, the house on the site was built uh, uh, in, in about 1920, is that right? Um, I don't, that I don't know. Um, uh, it, was, it, it was an existing house when my grandparents moved in in 45. Um, it, it desperately needs work. Uh, I live there, but I couldn't rent it as it is or do anything else with it. Uh, again, still trying to figure out how we incorporate it into the big picture, but I did uh, draw the line so that it was a legal structure until such time as I figure out what, I'm, what we're going to do with it. Um, 
it, it could possibly be just a single family home put on a new foundation and um, you know the, the the garage the detached garage is will be uh, removed no matter what it's dilapidated and it will go away thank you uh, mr. Grobe David Carter commissioner I um, just just reviewing the report I mean I, I think um, you know what you're proposing here seems to fit um, you know the objective uh, objectives of, of plan 2040 for infill development the thing that just really um, not quite alarms me but I think um, is is a cause for for pause is the thought of you know demolishing a hundred year old um, residence and um, I I would just um, uh, encourage you it's your your property but I would really encourage you to look for um, alternatives that would allow you to either incorporate that as part of the uh, uh, eventual you know, solution or to keep it or move it as a single family residence. Cause it, it seems at least from the outside, like a, quite a gem, quite a, um, a, um, a, a, a time capsule from um, a semi-rural construction from a hundred years ago. And it would just be a shame to lose that piece of architecture. Uh, Dean Grove, Grove Engineering. Uh, I would agree. And yes, there's a certain sentimental value in there. And my brother and I that own it, um, think we're going to have to leave town if, if destruction is the only option because um, I don't know that we could be there if it has to come down. But yes, I appreciate your uh, suggestion. Thanks for those comments, Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, anybody else have um, questions for staff, for the applicant, or uh, general observations? Commissioner Willie? Willie, Planning Commissioner, a uh, question for uh, either Mr. Grove or Catherine. Uh, the cross-access easement that will serve both of these properties, uh, is it also intended to serve the property to the west as it, it has kind of historically, or will the property to the west then take its only access from university? So currently, um, the western portion of that access easement would be a temporary access property to the west. Um, there was extensive discussion about the property to the west um, and if that were to ever develop in the future that would be um, an extension of roadways that are existing to the west either university or the one to the north not from iowa street and at that time that temporary portion of the easements would close to the west property once those public improvements were extended to that west uh, portion of this this property so at this time, that Western section of the access easement is temporary and it would close once and street access is given at the West end of that West property. Thank you. Luke Sinclair Chair. Anybody else have any questions, observations? Does anybody have uh, any thoughts or comments about uh, the variance requested? Nice. Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. 
Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. So we, we, we do this quite a bit, um, the, the reduction of right-of-way when it fits uh, the right-of-way of the neighboring properties. So this is not out of the ordinary for us. Um, I would just, guess I'd ask Catherine, um, the 90 feet, you feel like that is sufficient in terms of how it matches um, just immediately to the north and south of it? Yes, I think our engineering division was in agreement that 90 feet would be adequate. I mean, in reality, the 80 feet is sufficing now and 90 feet is more than we currently have. So I think that was sufficient for our engineering division and um, it's consistent with what is already happening along Iowa Street. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you for that, Commissioner Willie. Um, I guess I would make one observation, and that is it, sort of um, looking long-term, you know, we try to uh, see what the uh, other possibilities are aside from what is actually being um, proposed, because there's always a chance that something else could happen. Um, and in looking through the other um, uses that could be made, uh, in the RSO district, uh, you know, I, I feel comfortable at least that this is, this would be appropriate for that stretch of, um, of Iowa street. Um, and I feel fairly comfortable with the rezoning request, honestly, the plat and the variance as well. But does anybody else have any observations or questions or does someone feel comfortable making uh, well, before I ask that question, Commissioner Willie, go ahead. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Yes, I'm willing to make a motion. And I'll make the first one if somebody else steps in to make the other two. Fair enough. Um, I, move, I move to approve the request to rezone approximately 0.71 acres from RS7PD to RSO based on the findings presented in the staff report and forwarding it to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval. Very good, Mr. Clair Chair. We have a um, motion um, to approve the request to rezone and send it on um, with that recommendation. Um, do we have a second? Uh, I'll give it to Commissioner Rexroad by motion of the hand. Um, any other questions or comments before we have a vote? I'm not seeing any. Jeff, could you read the roll? Certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Very good. Um, does anybody feel comfortable making a motion um, as to the, I guess we just take them in order as to the plat or, well, I guess point of order. Does it matter if we, uh, which one of those votes we do first, um, the variance or the plat? Jeff can probably answer. I don't know that it matters because you could in theory improve the plat without the variance. So uh, I'll let Jeff confirm. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. That's correct. We'd probably advise. Do you consider the plat ahead of the variance? Um, because if you don't approve the plat, there may not be a reason to have the variance at that point. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you so much. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, is anybody willing to uh, make a motion? Commissioner Ashworth. Sharon Ashworth, Planning Commissioner. 
I move that the Planning Commission approve the preliminary plat PP 2100143 for Mabel Subdivision 1223 Iowa Street. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you much. We have a motion to approve the preliminary plat. Uh, do we have a second? Commissioner Carter uh, raised his hand to second that. Any other comments? Not seeing any. Uh, Jeff, can you read the roll? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you, Jeff. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, that would bring us to, uh, we have one vote left. So the third one as to the variance, would anyone like to make a motion on the variance? Commissioner Ashworth. Chair Ashworth Planning Commission. I move that the Planning Commission approve the associated variance for the reduction of right of way width for Principal Arteria, Arterial for Mabel Subdivision, 1223 Iowa Street. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Uh, we have a motion to approve the variance uh, to reduce the right of way. How about a second? Commissioner Rexrode raised his hand first, I believe, for the second. Other comments before we vote? Mm. Okay. Uh, Jeff, could you go ahead and read the roll? Certainly. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you much. Hey, I wanted to say, just in case everybody didn't figure out, Mabel was my grandmother, and that's why it's the, the name of the subdivision. So thank you again. Thank you, Mr. Grobe. Appreciate that. Um, that'll bring us to our second item of the evening. Um, and this is a three-part item. Um, it's to, con the first part of it is to consider approving a request to rezone Z-21-00138, approximately 7.23 acres located in the southeast corner of the intersection of Castle Drive and Bob Billings Parkway from UKU District um, to RS7 District. Uh, the second part of that, 2B, is going to be um, considering approval of a preliminary plat PP-21-00139 for Free State Subdivision, a one-lot subdivision on approximately 7.64 acres located in the southeast corner of the intersection of Castle Drive and Bob Billings Parkway. And the third part is uh, that we will consider approving a special use permit, SUP-21-00140, for the development of an electrical substation, a minor utility on approximately 7.64 acres in the southeast corner of the intersection of Castle Drive and Bob Billings Parkway. Um, and I believe from staff, we're gonna have Mary presenting. Good evening, commissioners. I will be presenting this item and I'm gonna pull up a PowerPoint real quick. 
And as you mentioned, this item has the three parts. There is a rezoning, a preliminary plat, and a special use permit. And I will discuss each one of these and provide staff's recommendation. And then at the end, I'll just provide all three recommendations for you to consider. The rezoning application proposes to rezone the 7.23 acres um, east of 1844 Castle Drive. This is on the east side of Castle Drive, about midway between Bob Billings Parkway and uh, Clinton Parkway from the UKU or Kansas University District to RS7, single dwelling, single dwelling residential district. Per the cooperation agreement between the City of Lawrence and the University of Kansas, only property that is owned by KU or the KU Endowment Association or used strictly for KU purposes can be zoned UKU. Land that is zoned UKU is exempt from the standards of the development code. It is uh, governed by that cooperation agreement. When property is sold, it is necessary to rezone it for an appropriate zoning district so that future development on the property will be subject to the standards of the land development code. This map shows the zoning districts in the area. This is one of the golden factors that we consider is whether or not the new zoning is compatible with zoning and land uses in the area. The area highlighted in yellow is land that's zoned UKU and it includes the subject property. Uh, the property is bounded on the west by residential properties zoned, one is zoned RM24, which is multi-dwelling residential, and the remainder is zoned RS7, single dwelling residential. Um, these are all developed with the detached dwellings, except for um, the one property just south of the multi-dwelling district, which is developed with a city water tower, which is also classified as a minor utility. The property is bounded on the south by a PUD, um, prior to the 2006 development code, we had the 1966 development code and sometime in that frame, we had a provision where you could have a base zoning district and an overlay. And the area south of this property developed during that time. So it had an RS2 base district and a planned development overlay on it. And when this uh, 2006 development code was adopted, that zoning converted to the PUD. However, the base district would have converted to RS7 had it not had the planning development overlay. And so south of the property are um, detached dwellings and there are apartments further to the south. The proposed RS7 zoning is consistent with uh, zonings in the area and uh, would be compatible with the uh, land uses. Um, the one exception is the RM24 zoning to the west and then the UKU remaining properties. The same uses would be possible on this property as the other RS7 and the PUD zoned properties. Uh, a few more uses are possible on the RM24 just due to the fact that it's zoned to a more intense district. The uses permitted in the RS7 district are fairly limited as this is an, intended to be a single dwelling residential district. Uses that are permitted by right, which means you only need to get a building permit or a site plan, include residential type uses, um, utilities that are minor, and these would be utilities that serve just one subdivision. For instance, if a subdivision needed a lift station in order to um, manage your solid waste, something like that. Um, <clears throat> neighborhood institutions, a religious assembly of a small scale are permitted and crop agriculture. Other uses allowed in this district require approval of a special use permit. Uh, some of these are considered low impact, but they could have offsite impacts, um, typically associated with parking or activity, you know, for instance, adult daycare homes or uh, public safety uses. 
and other uses that are maybe necessary to locate in residential areas, such as utilities or cell towers, that could have offsite impacts are also permitted when approved with a special use permit. And the intent is to use this property for an electrical substation. And a special use permit has been submitted um, for this use, which is considered a minor utility. The applicant provided this 3D rendering of the proposed use showing the general layout and location. And this graphic shows the layout in um, plan style. The Golden Factory view is outlined in the staff report. And while single dwelling zoning is requested, the development project would be a substation. The comprehensive plan notes that community facilities are necessary for the quality of life and they should be operated in a sustainable and efficient manner. And this property is sited in an infill location while being located in the area necessary to operate efficiently. The um, existing substation is to the east, and I'll show that a little later on another slide. Um, they're moving the facility to the west, but it is still in close proximity to the existing distribution lines. The facility would be located adjacent to single dwelling residential uses, uh, but the special use permit process and provisions should minimize offsite negative impacts. The proposed zoning would match other zoning, other non-KU zonings in the area and would be appropriate. With appropriate site design and any needed conditions applied with a special use permit, the proposed use should be compatible with the character of the neighborhood. One thing we look with all special use permits is what would the detrimental impacts be? And that's where special use permits are very useful as we can develop specific conditions to minimize or mitigate these potential negative impacts. Um, impacts that could be associated with a utility use would include traffic, lighting, noise, aesthetics, maybe activity on the site, and with appropriate conditions applied to the special use permit, the rezoning should have little detrimental effects on nearby properties. And I'll discuss those conditions when I discuss the special use permit. And staff is recommending approval of the rezoning request from UKU to RS7 and forwarding it to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. The development code requires that land be platted before a building permit can be issued. So it's necessary to plat the property as preparation for the development project. The applicant had originally intended to plat only the 7.23 acres, um, shown, uh, being shown here with my cursor, and requesting a variance from the planning commission from the requirement that every platted lot have frontage on a public street. And staff suggested that they include the lot to the west, which they also own, so that they would have the required frontage on a public street. So the applicant did extend the preliminary plat to include this property and this is, the SUP would apply to the entire lot. While the property will have the required road frontage width on Castle Drive, access will not be taken to Castle. They'll be taking temporary construction access from the site to the north to a temporary access easement to Bob Billings Parkway. And once, if it's approved, it's up and running, they would take permitted access to the east through the KU campus uh, through it permitted access easement. And uh, I'll discuss these easements more thoroughly with the review of the special use permit. The subject property would consist, consist of a platted lot at 1844, which is approximately 0.4 acres, and a 7.23 acre unplatted parcel designated here as zero. The two properties would be combined into one platted lot of approximately 7.64 acres, and neither lot is currently developed. Uh, the plat shows the easements. Uh, there is an existing 30-foot wide West R easement along the southern property line. And shown here at the dashed line, there would be a 15-foot utility easement 
added to that southern property line. The applicant provided information regarding off-site easements, as that's where most of the easements would be located with this project. Um, it shows the temporary access easement that they would use for the temporary access to Bob Billings Parkway during construction. That's uh, marked here in tan with the X's. The permanent access easement is in tan with the circles, and that shows connection to the KU streets. Uh, there is a temporary construction easement shown here in green, which uh, is on KU property, would allow them to do their grade work and other work they need to do for the project. The blue area is permanent drainage easement, and the red areas are permanent distribution line easements. And where the hatch marks are, that signifies that some of these easements are overlapping. Uh, the preliminary plat does comply with the density and dimensional standards in the development code for the RS7 district and the review criteria for preliminary plats are met and staff recommends approval of the preliminary plat for free state subdivision based on the findings in the staff report. And the third item is a special use permit that's being requested for the construction of a special or a minor utility. The development code notes that the special use review and approval procedures we provide a discretionary approval process for uses with unique or widely varying operating characteristics or unusual site development features. The procedure includes public review and evaluation of the uses operating characteristics and site development features and is intended to ensure that proposed special uses will not have a significant adverse impact on surrounding uses or the community at large. And that's where being able to apply conditions to a special use permit comes in. This shows the subject property outlined in black. The approximate location of the substation is shown in yellow. And if you look to the east, you'll see the location of the existing substation highlighted in orange. So the proposal is to remove this substation once, if this is approved and this substation is constructed, would be to remove this substation and just utilize this one, which would utilize the same distribution lines. The applicant noted that it was not possible to expand the existing substation due to the topography of the area, uh, the need to retain the existing substation while building the new one, the grade change to the entrance, which they said is currently 9 to 10%, and the fact that development would remove a significant number of trees. A special use permit allows the placement of conditions on the use if necessary to minimize off-site impacts. And as I mentioned, the most common impacts with a minor utility would be traffic, lighting, noise, and activity. Uh, this facility will be unmanned. There'll be very little traffic generated with it. Minimal maintenance visits would be made to the site. The applicant has requested a modification from the requirement to provide off-street vehicle parking and bicycle parking for this use due to the fact that the only vehicles accessing the site will be maintenance vehicles. No employees will be on the site except during maintenance and the site is not open to the public. The only lighting, the only exterior lighting will be emergency lighting, and this will only be used when necessary during nighttime maintenance or repairs. Uh, a modification is being requested from the exterior lighting standards in the development code to allow the use of floodlights rather than full cutoff fixtures, and this would allow them to be on shorter poles. And staff has requested a point-by-point -point illumination array so the impact of the lights on adjacent properties can be evaluated, and this would need to be completed if this application is approved uh, prior to the release of the plans for building permits to ensure that the lights don't create an impact on neighbors. Uh, one communication that we received 
requested that the lighting be switch operated rather than motion sensor so that wildlife and wind wouldn't trigger the lights. And this could be added as a condition to the special use permit. A substation would have a visual impact due to its nature and size. And the applicant is proposing an 80 foot wide buffer yard between the facility and the residential properties to the south. Uh, this would be landscaped as a type three buffer yard. Uh, this is a type of buffer yard that is uh, required typically between residential and industrial uses. And in, in addition, they're proposing a 10 foot tall stamped concrete wall, which would be behind the landscaping. Noise is another possible impact. And this noise chart, which was included in uh, the attachment with the staff report, shows sound levels as determined by Yale University. And if you'll notice, uh, suburban areas at night are about 40 decibels. A household refrigerator is about 55. And then business office is about 60 to 65. So I measured um, sound levels at various places to get a good feeling for these various sound levels. And as noted in the attachment, my backyard, which is in a residential area, there's no commercial or industrial uses nearby, had a reading of 43 to 47 decibels in the morning. So it'd be an average about 45 decibels. And then I measured the noise level at the fence of various substations. The substation near the fairgrounds um, is a fairly large substation and it had a reading of 50 decibels at the fence. Uh, the substation that is being replaced on Meadowlark Lane had a reading of 52 decibels. And the substation on 19th Street east of Iowa had a reading of 59 decibels. However, it sounded as if the noise was being generated by the building rather than by the substation. But this would come out to an average of about 55 decibels per substation. Staff is recommending a sound study to be uh, conducted um, to determine the anticipated sound level for the facility, and which would help the city commission to establish a maximum sound level. And staff is recommending the sound level be measured at the south side of the southern wall. Um, and this is to ensure that we're measuring the sound generated by the facility. If we measured further south at the property line, we would be measuring sounds generated by the residential uses, um, sounds coming in from Castle Drive. And so it just seems like if we're going to try to measure the sounds of the facility, we should take it as close as possible. Uh, we did receive some concerns um, in our public communications received recently. One uh, member of the public was concerned about stormwater and how drainage would be managed. They were concerned there could be flooding to their properties. I referred that question to the city stormwater engineer, and he noted that the swales that they're planning to install around the facility would direct the stormwater flow to the floodplain and it would probably improve the stormwater flow in the area. Currently, it could just sheet flow to the south if that's the way the contours lie. Um, a concern was also raised about the impact of the water tower being located next to the substation property. And the city engineer noted that the overflow from the water tower is directed to the east onto this property, but that the swells would direct that water if there was an overflow to the floodplain. And so staff's recommendation is to approve the special use permit um, with the requested modifications to the from the parking requirement and from the exterior lighting standards and forwarding it to the city commission with a recommendation for approval um, subject to the conditions in the report. And this just lists those conditions. One is that point-by-point -point illumination array of the lighting, the sound study, um, the approval of the request to modify the off-site parking, the approval of the modification uh, for the exterior lighting standards, and then provision of a revised site plan with any changes needed to address uh, the fire code per the fire inspector's approval. The applicant and the fire inspector are working together to develop a set of standards. Since it's an electrical facility, 
um, typical firefighting measures may not be appropriate. And so they're going to work out those conditions and they would need to revise the site plan once they've reached that, if necessary. And so this is just a summary of the three items. The rezoning, we recommend that to be forwarded to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval. Uh, the preliminary plat, uh, we recommend the Planning Commission approve the preliminary plat. And the special use permit, uh, we recommend to be forwarded to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval, uh, subject to the conditions. Um, you could add the condition that exterior lighting be operated with a switch rather than motion sensors, and also approval of those modifications that were requested. And um, I know the applicant is present today, and I believe several members of the public are, and I will be happy to answer questions if you have any for me. Thank you very much, Mary. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, so we're going to have the applicant do um, their presentation, then we'll have time for public comments. And I think in, in light of the fact that there's three items uh, associated with this, I'd like to extend um, the time, the comment time uh, by a little bit. Uh, it, so public comment, I, I'd like to give people five minutes apiece, um, and then the applicant, um, I don't, presumably you have a prepared statement, but if you'd like, you can have an extra five minutes or maybe just use a little more time on your uh, rebuttal after public comment is in since it seems like there's a lot of interest. But with that said, um, I think we have Casey Colburn uh, with Bartlett and West uh, signed up. Is that who um, is going to take over for the applicant? This is Casey Colburn, Bartlett and West um, engineer. Uh, Dennis Lawler with Evergy, he's the project manager. Um, he will be speaking. Um, there is a team here from Evergy um, and then uh, me with Bartlett and Wes to help uh, answer any questions that you might have. Uh, we don't have a real formal presentation, just kind of want to talk through the history of how we got to this point here and um, hopefully uh, answer any questions you might have. Very good. Luke Sinclair Chair. Thank you, Casey. Uh, then, Mr. Lawler, would you like to proceed? Thank you, Commissioners. Appreciate this opportunity. We're pretty excited about this project. Um, it all started because we know that with the growth that's happening in Lawrence, especially with KU, we were looking for something we needed to get for reliability to strengthen the power grid. And again, like I said, for the future growth of Lawrence, anticipating KU to grow, especially West Campus. So we went looking for, um, we looked at the existing site we had, but as Mary did a great job explaining, um, the site we have currently that we call the KU West Campus, it, it's, to get to it, you have to go through a residential neighborhood. And so that's not conducive to the, to the neighbors. Um, we're also hauling big equipment sometimes through there. And so we, again, we have to go through the neighborhood. So we decided to look elsewhere to see if we can't come up with another opportunity. Well, and especially with the, with the substation site we've got, we actually now can come in off of Bob Billings and Westbrook and there won't be any residential areas that would be impacted by us traveling back and forth. The other thing I wanted to, uh, to talk about a little bit is some of the criteria, when we go looking for a substation site, um, one criteria is we, the applicant has to be willing to sell us the property. And we, we want the property, the substation site to be fairly close to existing transmission lines. So we don't have to build any additional transmission lines if we can help it. So we always try to get close to what's already there. So the particular site we have at, Free State met those criteria. The other advantage we have also is that um, we have a relationship with KU Engineering that we can also do some partnerships there, um, like we've done down at Wichita State with their engineering department with some of our substation sites. So there's a lot of advantages to that piece as well. So the, the concrete, the, the, the actual substation will have a concrete wall around it, about 
uh, nine or ten feet tall, similar to what's at what we call Wren Substation, which is over by um, Bob Billings and Castle on the northwest corner of that intersection. So it looks something similar to that. But that's kind of where we are. Um, one thing is we will have uh, operated switches for lights. It won't be automatic. There will be lights uh, operated. So with that, I'd um, be more happy to, again, like Casey mentioned, answer any questions, provide any back to you. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Lawler. I'm sure there will be uh, questions for you and your team, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, with that then, uh, we will turn to public comment. Um, we have, uh, at least on my list, four people registered. I'm gonna just work my way down that list and then uh, other people that are on the Zoom call um, will be able to have an opportunity to raise their hand if they wanna talk um, or if there's anybody in person. So the first person I have is uh, Jeanette Walter. Walter. Hi, I'm Jeanette. Um, we have our neighborhood association has been working together and we have presented a um, PowerPoint to share so that uh, we try our best as non-professionals to uh, hit all the topics of our concern. Um, I just want to, you can Go to the next slide. I'm Jeanette Walther. I live in the property that will be uh, the opposite the wall. And I want to introduce you to our neighborhood. Um, up and down our street of 19th Street, we have um, most of the residents have been here for decades. We just have a very a low turnover of, of homeowners that sell and we're really, really excited to get three young families with young kids to revitalize our neighborhood. But most of us have been here 20, 30, 35, 43 years, because it's a great place to live. Um, I refer to the plan where uh, our communities are vibrant and livable neighborhoods and allow people to age in, which uh, we all stand to do here in this little neighborhood. Um, half of the Neighborhood Association, I just want to thank um, the the planners that met with us, the commissioner that met with us, and Mary for answering all of our questions. We asked them as soon as we could go with them, and um, everyone was really helpful, and we appreciate that. That being said, we still don't think this is an appropriate place to put an industrial substation so close to our house. Next slide, please. Uh, our neighborhood concerns are um, the very negative effects and real effects they'll have on our property values. Uh, when we bought this land, even us, 25 years ago, we felt confident buying land that had backed up to KU property. Even if KU built something that we didn't particularly like and we had to move away from, we knew it would not negatively affect our property values. In fact, probably make our property value go up because it was next to KU. Um, we're very concerned about the noise. Um, you mentioned the studies, and um, I noted the decibel reading were for appliances and things like that that shut off. And uh, we're talking about a sound that will happen you know, for 24-7. So um, we listened to the, the power plant by um, the fairgrounds. It kind of reminded me of someone blowing in a, into a straw, a little whistling sound, but they never had to take a breath. Um, and that will affect us in a negative way. Uh, we are concerned about the, the electromagnetic fields that will be getting off these big high voltage power lines. Uh, we would like a lot more um, reassurance 
uh, that the flooding mitigation will work and what happens if it doesn't. Um, we think, we feel that other sites were not properly looked at. And uh, again, one of the city comprehensive plans states that uh, in fiscally and environmentally responsible manners with the goal of using existing infrastructure and infill opportunities before open areas for development and ignored. And the aesthetics, I'm sorry, they're not pretty to look at. And uh, I would ask what you guys think if you had one in your backyard. Next slide, please. Um, so what I've learned about this timeline is um, KU Endowment, Westar um, approached KU in 2015 and started talking about a substation in this space uh, and they bought the land at the top of the hill in 2016. Um, the first inkling that our neighborhood had of anything is in spring of 2020 when we we watched um, a clearing activity that took out about 12 feet across and a quarter mile of trees into mulch about a few days. It was impressive and overwhelming and when we asked you know workers like what's this about? And they said, oh, it's just maintenance. In 30 years, we've never seen any kind of maintenance like that. So we questioned that and, and we questioned why they were doing it in the spring when there were birds nesting in the trees. Um, and then after that, it sounds like in the fall, Evergy actually purchased the land from KU. Uh, eventually, we were sent an, a letter in mail in January. In April, learned that they had applied for um, all of the things that we're discussing tonight. And on May 18th, we um, were invited to join a Zoom energy where we actually have details of the plans for the first time. So in about a month, we've had to um, try to figure out all the questions we need to ask and how it will really impact us. And if, you know, listen to my reader, how soon can you pack and get out? Well, we can't do it in a month. Um, so we feel like there's an inbound timeline. They've been working on it since 2015. We've had a month. Um, to talk about it and we don't feel like we had a lot of discussion. So my next slide. And for the last thing that I'm going to talk about today is that um, there's a real negative impact on our property values. Um, all of the research that I found says that we can expect to lose up to 50% of our, I mean, it's, it's all over the place, but it's not nothing. Um, if people see big power lines hesitant to move here, if they, um, if, if we knew Evergy owned the land behind this house, we would have been hesitant to buy it because we would want to find out what's going on. Um, and and the resale price is permanent. So houses with power lines, they take longer to sell. Um, they are, there is a perception that the big voltage lines, negative health consequence. It, some of the studies say it's inconclusive, others are kind of terrifying. Um, buyers are put out by the visual appearance, and we are nervous about, you mentioned the fire code and certainly the residents of the neighborhood. We've talked about, there was a fire just recently at a substation in Shani, I believe. We would want to know what to expect um, and how that might impact us. We don't have a lot of exits from our neighborhood. So, um, we think that those, the real effects of our property values need to be addressed. And maybe we feel like we should be compensated for the depressed market value of our homes. 
uh, uh, some of our retirees have put everything into the homes. They might need the equity in their house if they need to move to assisted living. So that is um, my portion of our PowerPoint. Thank you for listening. Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair. Um, then I am guessing it's going to go on to Mr. Mark Smelser. Good evening, everyone. Um, hear me? Okay. Uh, yep, my name is Mark Smelser, and I live on, my wife and I live on 3122 West 19th Street. And um, I apologize for the condition of the slides. Most of what I want to say in the, is in the pictures. But basically, uh, I'd like to challenge uh, Westar's premise for rejecting the West Campus location and several of those, those uh, reasons are listed there, the flatness, um, how accessible it is for vehicles, and then um, just talk about removing trees. And so if we can go on to the next slide, please. So I've been doing, uh, looking at the Douglas County GIS information site quite a bit, just to look at our neighborhood and, and measurements and topography. And on this picture, you can see our location is in the lower, our neighborhoods in the lower left with the, the white picture is a cut and paste of the, the proposed station. And looking over to the right side, uh, you can see Meadowlark Lane, and then um, the Meadowlark substation is right there in the small corner. And I basically tried to scale and paste the footprint of the substation and see what it looked like over on the West Campus. Um, for us here in the neighborhood, it seems like a West Campus location would be good for everybody, uh, good for us, and seems like it would work a lot better for Evergy. And uh, we just want to make sure that it has actually gotten a full review before uh, and look at before uh, this uh, rezoning is approved. And just put it out there, north of us, um, you know, it's really flat out there and not behind any other houses. Uh, slide, please. So right here is a detailed picture of the property. And I selected the topographical lines to just to give them of, of what the ground looks like. And best I could tell, uh, the highest point on the footprint of the substation would be 906 feet, and the lowest point would be 802 feet. And if you're going to make a flat, I assume they're going to make a flat pad, so that'd be about 34 feet of elevation. So that's filling on the downhill side and in on the uphill side. And so the digging would would uh, be a lot larger. It would be larger than actual fenced substation. Next slide, please. And so here is what if put on West Campus. The existing substance is there in orange. It's not very big. Um, it's behind a couple houses. It's off of a very steep drive, it's true. But there's a blue dotted line running off to the northeast. And that goes over to Younger Hall on, on West Campus. And it's basically a dirt road, double track road, but it's flat 
And with some gravel and trimming, it could be a great access road. It's about 900 feet long. To compare that to the plan, the temporary construction road is about 2,200 feet, new gravel through a field, and a permanent road would be around 900 feet and involve a bridge. So just on that note, this would be a lot cheaper and uh, less, less work. The hill here, looking at the topography, north of that power line, it is very steep, but on top of that hill, the the contour lines are maybe a little bit harder to see, but the lowest point from what I could was about 972, and the highest point was 84. So that's only 12 feet of elevation difference. And yes, it would take cutting and filling to flatten that out, but from my non-professional point of view, it looks like it's a lot flatter. And the trees up there, they're mostly red cedar and honeysuckle. Eastern red cedar is native, but it's invasive. It kind of takes over, and honeysuckle is also invasive. And so the soil around there is not in great condition. Um, it wouldn't be a huge loss. Um, just kind of from a forestry perspective. You also have to balance that with the green space that would be lost in a field. And do I have another slide or not? Okay, so I'll just say um, I would request that the the uh, rezoning be postponed until we can um, find out if Energy has really uh, done their diligence to to see if that would be the West Campus site would work. Thank you, Mr. Smelser. Um, next on the list, and according to the slide, is Tom Dixon. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I'm Tom Dick. Um, I live uh, on 44, which is at the corner of Jinren Road and 19th Street, and my lot next right up to this property. Um, I probably only going to have three minutes, so I eliminated several of my slides. Uh, maybe I won't talk as fast, but I'm going to start with my. So, and then, please. Okay, the summary says that the nearest neighbors can affect noise level intensities from around 7 to 57 decibels, depending on whether you have one transformer or four. The diagrams show four transformers, and I don't think energy would be involved in doing what they're doing if they were going to put one transformer. So I'm expecting the four transformers at a minimum. Um, neighbors up the hill where I am can expect noise level intensities up to 43 decibels four transformers. Um, the noise levels for four transformers is the normal noise level in our neighborhood, which is about decibels. So it would dominate the noise that we hear. Uh, environmental noise with audible tonal components, which are generated by the, by the um, transformers as resonances within the equipment. Somebody was talking about blowing through a whistle, taking a breath. Uh, those types of sounds are generated by transformers and they can be very annoying because they stand out from the broadband noise. We'd also 
expect to get brain vibrations. People don't usually talk about that, but the vibration of the transformers doesn't just go in for a sound, it also goes to the ground. Um, you could expect some vibrations that might get transmitted to nearby homes. And because of the cut into the hill, and the hill where I am will not be benefited by this 10 wall, nor will be benefited by vegetative barrier that they plan to plant because we will be up where it's away. Next slide. This is a slide you've already seen, but it helps me illustrate what I'm talking about. And since I have a cursor, see my cursor? You can't see my cursor? No, okay, that's too bad. If you see where the cut in the hill is, my lot right along the top edge of that cut. I'm lot before. Okay. Um, my lot is over 20 feet above the floor of the substation. Lots 45 and 46 down the hill from are 15 and 10 feet above the floor. That 10 foot wall will not hide either a visual barrier or any sound abatement thoughts. Trees can be grown between our lots and the substation because in order to level the surface for the substation, there will be cuts into the hillside which extend into the easement of the existing power lines. Existing trees will be cut down and trees cannot be grown near the easement line. So when I stand in my backyard, my eyes and ears will be at least 15 feet above the wall and I will have an unobstructed view of the interior of the substation and an unabated drag line for the transmission of sand. Lots below me, lots 45 and 46, will have the same situation. Now, although a vegetable buffer is proposed, when you look at the, the land and its proximity to the easement, it appears that it would be very limited in length and depth. The fraction of the sound waves over the low wall can also be, which reduces its as a sound barrier. The vibrations of transformers, as I said, generate ground waves as well as sound waves and tonal noise. I'm concerned about the ground waves because I have a ground source heat pump at my house with pipes which go down into the ground over 150 feet. Even if the amplitude of the vibrations is small, I'm worried that the continuous 24-7 vibrations will damage the pipe and the heat exchanger. Next slide, please. This is just to help <laughs> if you're mathematically inclined. Uh, these are the equations that, that you need to really understand what's going on noise-wise. Sound level intensity is measured in decibels, which is a logarithmic definition. It's a logarithm of the ratio of the intensity of the sound to the intensity that we as humans can hear at the smallest amount. Intensity itself is the energy per second that goes to a given area. I have two surface areas there because we're talking about spheres and cylinders. And so this um, a single transformer produces 65 decibels at six feet according to averaging. And because of the logarithmic nature of decibels, four transformers won't add up 65 plus 65 plus 65 plus 65. Instead, it becomes 65 plus 10 log of four with those 71 decibels. So four transformers in a row will produce 71 decibels six feet away from them. 
A single transformer by itself acts like a point source, and the sound waves expand into a spherical surface, which you see there. It's surface area of a sphere, 4 pi r squared. That means that as the sound wave moves out into the air and expands, the surface area through which the energy passes is increasing as the square of the distance. Um, okay, and that's going to in a, a lowering of the intensity, and so it becomes an attenuation of the noise at the rate of six decibels each time you double the distance. Uh, four transformers, as shown on the map there, um, will act like a line source, not a point source, because they're stretched over at least 144 feet, which when you're close to it, as some of the neighbors at the bottom of the hill will be, uh, it will look like a cylinder, not a point source. So, Mr. Mr. Dixon, if you wouldn't mind uh, concluding your thought, that'd be great. We've reached the end of your time. Okay, I'll be real quick. Uh, because uh, the transformers will be in a line, they project them to a surface that looks like a loaf of bread. You have a with hemispheres at each end. And these, if you look at my slider, the point source intensity for a line source is only de dependent upon the linear relationship to the distance. It means that the attenuation goes by three decibels instead of six. So the neighbors will see a cylinder expanding at three decibels per doubling distance, which isn't as big as six. So the sound won't, won't dissipate as fast. The result is 57 decibels for the nearest neighbors. Up in my part, it's I'm not quite with the cylinders, probably be around 44. But the normal level is 40, so you can see 57 is much louder than what we're used to. And it would be mixed in tonal sounds, those individuals. So I'll stop there. Thank you much, Mr. Dixon. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, I, I believe the next public commenter we have is Charles uh, Walther. All right. Uh, keep going through a couple slides, please. I think my name, there I am. All right. Uh, yeah, perfect. So we, we're asking that the, a deferment in, a, in any kind of room tonight, we... Uh, we haven't had a lot of time. It's obvious that we're trying to to refute some things here, but um, you know we're amateur. Uh, the comparable project that we were getting a look at is in uh, out by the fairgrounds. It is the uh, oh, it's in the Venture Park area. Uh, it's big. You you could see on the original map picture that it's you know four or five times as big as that's being replaced. Uh, the one that's being replaced is one of the loudest ones that I heard when I went around listening to them, uh, just from a uh, energy point of view of, of that type of noise. Um, it just just seems out of place in Lawrence. I've been in Lawrence since 88, and, and this doesn't seem like the kind of thing, kind of direction Lawrence is going. I know that we in reading through the report, we kept seeing the thing about uh, strong, welcoming neighborhoods. And, and um, this is much more for KU's benefit than the neighborhood. And, and I just found those words to be a little bit ironic. I get them as part of the development code and things like that. Um, 
but it's not a welcome product within any neighborhood to have, you know, one with the potential of four transformers put in in the backyards. Uh, Evergy's been working on it for years. Uh, you can see the wow cable marking uh, right behind my house. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been a company in Lawrence since two, January of 2017. Um, I only put that on there as emphasis of mine. Uh, well, the informational meeting was was useful. It really energy for for putting them on. We got a lot of good information in that, uh, uh, but we had to type in questions and sometimes interpret it. And we've not had a face to face meeting with energy. Whenever people are out surveying the fields and things like that, then we get a letter saying, "Please stay away from them. They have a job to do, and there's COVID." And I get that, uh, but. You know, COVID's going away now a little bit, and we can meet outside and have conversations. So we'd like to see some demonstration of consideration of other options. That definitely needs to be further from houses. I, I appreciate 80 feet's pretty good, uh, but that will not leave space. You know, if you look at the picture of the buffer yard, that's all behind two or three houses, and, and the rest of them are going to be looking right into this, uh, into this thing. And, and some level of view of compensation plus the property, of property value, my apologies. Do I have one more slide on that? So this was the aesthetics. And then we took a quick picture off uh, Clinton Parkway and K-10. There's that the housing unit, housing development back in there. Um, that's not a bad thing to look at from an aesthetic point of view. But most of the neighbors by this property won't see trees because the Apparently, uh, digging into the side of the, there aren't any trees in that area. Uh, so I think that's about where we're at. So we'd like to, we'd like to ever G to come out to us and talk to, you know, come stand in the field and let's talk about it a little bit. Um, I think Mark Smeltzer pointed out real clearly that, you know, some other, other locations further from the houses uh, might be beneficial to look at. But, and, Go ahead and stop. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Walter. Um, are there any other, uh, oh, sorry, Luke Sinclair Chair. Are there any other uh, people on the Zoom call that wish to offer public comment? Feel free to raise your hand or do the little raise hand feature in Zoom. Uh, I see uh, Another person on Mark Smelser's <laughs> Zoom call raising their hand. Hello, sorry I didn't sign on my own computer. My name is Carrie Smelser. And I live at 3122 West 19th as well. I did not prepare PowerPoint because I wasn't 100% sure I would be able to get off work to be here. Um, the thing that I want to point out um, about this property and Evergy's plans um, is that their plans do not currently fill the property. They have left um, quite a bit of room on their property that has a uh, potential for development. And um, they're talking to us only putting one or two um, transformers initially, which um, sounds good from their perspective, but we are quite worried about what it turn into as it gets for future development. Um, the, the mere size of it doesn't seem appropriate to put right behind houses, especially with um, future development options. Um, let's see. 
and more transformers would be more noise, more construction, um, more more effect on our lives in the coming years. Um, the um, we have asked Evergy about this, um, and, and they have yet to give us a concrete answer um, about what what future plans uh, might be. Um, we would ask um, in type of approval limitation be put on um, in however however can be put on um, on future climate, whether it be on the noise levels coming out of the substation um, or the the size or anything added to it. Thank you, Ms. Smelzer. Um, other public comments? Anybody else on, um, on the call that wishes to talk? Kyle Kobe with Planning. I see that Michael Allman has raised his hand in, uh, on my Zoom screen. Uh, thank you, Kyle. Luke Sinclair Chair, Mr. Allman, uh, you, you can make your comments and you've got five minutes. Thank you, Chair Sinclair. This is Michael Allman. And first of all, I had a question. Are we talking about the rezoning issue at this point? Mr. Allman, Luke Sinclair Chair, uh, we're talking about any of the three that you want to talk about. We're uh, entertaining them all together. Okay, so five minutes for all three. Okay. Uh, well, um, I don't have any particular objection to the zoning. They're calling for residential zoning, which is compatible with residential zoning. But that seems like a a, you know, a ploy, uh, a distraction, because sure, the zoning is compatible, but the use is not compatible with the adjoining zoning. And I find it kind of odd that they had, oh, not, not quite a quarter section of land for KU Endowment owned to buy for this substation, and yet they bought the site immediately adjacent to residential zoning. That's... <laughs> That, that's just odd. Um, so first of all, what I'd like to talk about, though, is the plat. Um, the plat is this, in an area where the, uh, the University of Kansas and the city of Lawrence has proposed to put a bicycle uh, bikeway through there. And if I could share my screen, I'd like to show you that. Uh, let's see. As you see on this slide, here's the Evergy property. This is the access road that they're planning to build. And this is where KU and the city of Lawrence have proposed a bikeway. It's right now a project in the 20, 2022 Lawrence Capital Improvement Plan as a proposal, not yet funded for 2022. Um, the problem, and, and let me uh, further show you, it's also shown on the uh, current bike plan for Lawrence, this section right here as a future bikeway. Uh, in addition, if I may, I'd like to show you uh,
Uh, can you see that map? KU Master Plan also shows a bicycle trail in the same location. Well, the problem is that on the plat, Evergy is planning on building that access road on 20 feet of fill. They're going to raise the elevation of that, that land 20 feet to put that road in there, which is an obvious roadblock to this bicycle plan, this bicycle trail. There's no way that a bicycle trail can get over that 20-foot high street. And that also begs the question, all the soil that Evergy is moving from that site to build this road is an enormous amount of yards of soil that they're saying the topography on the uh, existing uh, West Campus site, they, it's, it's too challenging. Well, they could easily move that amount of soil on the existing trans uh, um, substation site if they're gonna be do, uh, doing it on this site. Um, but mostly my concern is that this bicycle trail would be impossible unless Evergy agrees to put an underpass somehow on that, that road. Um, now, as far as the, the shared use, the um, special use permit goes, I also can't imagine how, I, mean, I know the code calls this a minor utility, but I can't imagine how minor this would be compared to what you discussed two days ago, um, solar collectors, which is considered a major utility, yet totally silent, no electromagnetic fields, no health effects, no visual health effects. Um, so that's just um, incompatible just because the code happens to call it a minor utility. Um, it's not compatible with the adjoining use of residential zoning. Uh, I don't think there could be any conditions put on this that would make it compatible. And I think the neighbors have pointed out um, very well, you know, what the problems would be. Um, I think enlarging the existing West Campus substation is, is what should happen here. And if access to the neighborhood is what Evergy is saying, access to the existing substation is not neighborly, uh, once again, that seems very ironic when they're building immediately adjacent to housing and they do have the option, as the neighbors pointed out, of accessing the West Campus site uh, from elsewhere at KU property. Um, so for the purpose of my organization who's interested in, in getting this bikeway built, that's my concern. I just wanted to bring up some issues that I think the neighbors uh, have, have adequately described. And I certainly wouldn't want my property values depressed if something like this were um, dumped next to my backyard. So um, thank you very much. That's all I need to say. Thank you, Mr. Allman, Luke Sinclair Chair. Are there other members of the public on the Zoom call that wish to offer any thoughts? Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, while I wait to see if there's any other hands that go up, I will just confirm that we don't have anyone in the room to speak on this item still. And okay. I'm still not seeing any hands going up right now. Luke Sinclair Chair, thanks for that, Kyle. Then I think um, 
what we'll do is give the uh, applicant a chance to, and I don't, maybe that would be you, Mr. Lawler, to um, to respond to any of the comments that you've heard the public make. You bet. I'm trying to get my video back on here. Sorry, for some reason I want to go. There it goes. Thank you. Um, yes, a, a couple things um, I would like to to mention. First of all. Um, one, of the, one of the comments I made earlier is one of the criteria when we go by a substation site is it's got to be a landowner willing to participate and sell us the land. And it's got to be next to transmission lines. When we talked to KU Endowment, this was the area that they told us they would sell us. So we were we didn't go um, we to expand any farther on their substation site. It is a challenge. You still have to go through the neighborhood. But the new site, we don't have to go through the neighborhood, which was very enticing to us in terms of uh, nights or anything like that. I know I've heard some of the comments back that that, that, that fine, the neighborhoods have, have, uh, have, have not noticed it. It's just that we try to, going forward, we try to stay out of that, out of the neighborhood with the big trucks. That's just been our, our policy trying to go forward. So I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just telling you that that's our policy trying to, to move forward. But back to why we, we didn't expand over there. Again, that was not a piece of property that KU Endowment was, was had on the table to sell us. Um, we bought the piece of property that, that KU Endowment um, provided us. So that's that's why we are where we are in terms of that location. Um, I, I heard a couple of things about in, in the flooding. Again, uh, and Casey can speak to this, but we definitely had an engineering study look at that. We had them evaluate it um, with their with professional engineering calculations and the PE um, certified in terms of the, the, the design on that. On the, on the the swales, so we're very confident that we're we're helping the uh, the flooding and uh, the runoff per the site. The uh, the noise um, again. I mean, oh, um, you, four bays, and that that's a fair statement. When when I want to iterate is we are going to definitely put one transformer in. However, we are trying to be as transparent as we possibly can. So the most transformers we'd ever have in that site is four, but the Maybe the second transformer in maybe ten years, but it will be. This is a this is a long term plan, so it's not something we would just go do. But we also, when we provided this to the to anybody just like us, because we live in the, in the neighborhood as well in the area, um, we wanted to be transparent about it. We wanted to understand, hey, the full blown full plan for this property is the four bays, but we only put one in right now. Now, again, if something happens where a huge manufacturer comes in or something. That we don't foresee right now we need more electricity more generation then that may change that plan but right now that's that's the plan is it's four bays but it's a long long range plan um see the noise uh, again our our um i believe our transformers when they're made um they they the 50 so decibels is what they're they're that, that that's what the manufacturer says that they're made at um, in terms of vibration, I do want to make a comment that I mean these transformers weigh a lot, of, a lot, and so we are we the foundations, the concrete foundations that they sit on are very, very thick. So we have never had in all of our substations we've got within the service territory and a, a vibration problem outside of that, uh, even inside the sub. I mean, they sit down next to the transformer, you can you can touch it, you can feel, it, but if you stand on the concrete. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying in terms of vibration. We've just never experienced that um, in any of our substations up to date. So, but I'd be more than happy to to talk about that a little bit more. Um, let's see. I think uh, is there anything else that 
or any commissioners that have any questions that I didn't write down or didn't address that, that came up in the discussion. I'm more than happy to, I got a lot of folks behind me to help. So I mean, I know, but I can definitely reach out and get some answers. Dennis is Casey, the bike path. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Casey. Yes. Good job. I knew there's something. Um, the bike path. We, we absolutely, I, Michael, I hear what you're saying in terms of the, the bike path. We have a, we could look at def, a couple different options. One option on um, which we've done on down by K10, I've seen where we can make the culvert big enough where the, the bike bikers could go underneath or through the culvert to their side because we've done that before. Of course, when it's flooded, it's not passable, but there's other areas that wouldn't be as well. But there's some options there that we definitely could go back and look at in terms of our uh, with Bartland West and look at the civil design and and do something there. But we're um, that's a I apologize. That's the first I've heard of that in terms of uh, coming out. So um, I'd be more happy to, to look at that and talk to, to Casey and address that. Thank you, Casey. Uh, thank you, Mr. Lawler. I think I'm sure there will be questions uh, from the commissioners at some point uh, here in the discussion. And so now's the time to bring it back to uh, the uh, to the commission, excuse me, for discussion. But I might suggest before we start talking that we take a short break. Um, so we can come back fresh if that is um, okay with everyone. Maybe a five-minute break, um, coming back around eight eleven or so. Mr. Chair, the room is ready. Thank you, sir. Luke Sinclair, Chair. As people trickle back on here, um, uh, we are now to the point where we're going to have the discussion amongst the uh, commission. And just as a reminder, we have the rezoning request, the uh, approval of the preliminary plat or consideration of it, and then the special use permit. Um, but I think we can talk about anything you all want. So does anybody want to start with questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Rexroad. I thank you, Commissioner Rexroad. A uh, question for Evergy. Um, uh, could you help me understand what the max capacity of this site is? You mentioned you're going to start with one and you've got a long range plan that maybe we'll get up to four transformers. What What is the maximum capacity of the site you have designed? Commissioner, the, uh, the maximum capacity would be the four transformer bays. <clears throat> we actually have the maximum would be four transformers if we ever got to that point where we needed them. Gotcha. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Now, Commissioner Rexroad, um, do you have, you may not be able to speak for uh, KU on this, but I'm curious about um, the particular parcel that was selected for this work to be sold to you. Um, do you do you have any idea why this was the particular side of the preference for it from a, from KU's perspective? Commissioner, I, I don't. I, I know enough here to be dangerous. I do know that, um, the the, uh, the the property actually belongs to KU Endowment, not the KU University or Regent. Right. So, um, but in terms of why <clears throat> they they selected this particular site, they, I know that they wanted it. They didn't want us to take something in the middle of the property, and I know they wanted it on the outskirts of the of the other property. But I'm sorry, I don't know the whole particulars about the reasoning on that one. Sure. My guess is, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead, please. My, my guess is that they've got some long-range plan for the north piece of that property, and that's why they they push us south. We've actually moved a little bit farther north based on some of the comments that we've got back from the public as well. 
Understood. Thank you, Commissioner Rickshaw. Again, um, I, just an observation that uh, this particular location seems to be about as far away from. I'm looking at a map, as far as far away from any of uh, what KU has developed now as they can possibly be, which uh, seems to suggest some of the same concerns about its location as the uh, the neighbors might have. Thank you for those answers. Thank you. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair, Commissioner Ashworth. Thank you, Sharon Ashworth, uh, Planning Commissioner. Um, I have um, several questions, but start with a couple. Um, uh, first of all, in terms of the um, location, you, you uh, Commissioner Rexroad opened that up in terms of location, and I watched the public meeting, the video of the public meeting, and one of the things that I thought was odd in that um, is a suggestion that uh, coming off of Castled and placing a facility off of Castled, one of the reasons that was not feasible was because it was inconvenient to access the site driving south on Castled, and anybody accessing the site would have to drive north on Castled. I thought that was uh, fairly minimal reasoning for one of the reasons for putting not putting it um, off of Castled. Uh, that was um, in the public meeting that I watched. Uh, the other, uh, that was just a comment I had, a question I have about the noise levels. Now, this is going to be a 10-foot wall, concrete wall. How thick is this wall? I'm going to phone a friend on that one. Mr. Chris Meyer, can you help me on this? Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes, can. Thank you. So, Chris, I'm sorry, Chris Meyer is our civil engineer within Evergy. Okay, and the question is, how thick is the concrete wall? That's correct. Um, it is, well, I'm playing on my memory here. I think it is uh, one foot thick, 10 inches to one foot. I can look up those uh, details that we've used on other uh, projects too, but uh, you have to give me a minute. Okay, Sharon Ashwood Planning Commission. The, the reason I ask is I know that concrete, while it can be an effective sound barrier, um, is not as, as effective with low frequency noise as it is with high frequency noise. So I'm curious as to the thickness of the wall and just how much of a decibel reduction um, one would have with a 10 inch wall versus a one foot wall or however thick it's going to be. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that. We don't. Um, we don't normally do noise studies, but as a condition of this uh, permit that we we would we would consult we'd contract somebody to provide that information for us and they may have some kind of noise noise mitigation um, you know techniques or you know some kind of I think we have used um, some attenuators before around the transformers but there's there's probably things that they could recommend so I'm not gonna go I'm not even gonna try to to uh, be a, an acoustical engineer here so. Um, yeah, uh, so, you know, if we have to do an, uh, a sound study, I, I think that's, that's the way to do that, let them handle that. Okay, but that, that would, um, Planning Commissioner Sharon Ashworth, um, I, that would be a critical piece of information, I think. Um, and I'll have one more uh, question 
Um, and then I'll, I'll yield and come back to questions later. Uh, on the 3D picture that you showed, um, showing the area for the substation, there were no uh, power lines shown on that picture. Now, in our packet, we had a picture of a power line and the tower for the power line. So I'm kind of curious how those are going to be sited near the, near the substation. Okay, um, Mary, could you bring a picture up for me? Mary Miller, yes, I'll get that in just one second here. So, so Commissioner, to answer your question, and I'll do, start with, so the big tall, the 60-foot tall structures inside the substation will have, will have wiring going to them. So there'll be wiring going to the, the two on the left-hand side of your picture, the wires going northwest back toward the water tower. That's not there today. The two on the east side of the substation, on the right-hand side of the substation, those power the, the wires that come straight south to there, and where there's already a, a transmission line existing along where Mary's showing her pointer. Yes, there's already a line existing. So the two on the right-hand side would come back to that existing line. So that would be the additional transmission line wires that would be part of this project. It would be those two would come back straight south to the existing line, and the two on the left would go northwest each back toward on the north side of the water tower. And actually, be on the, there's a house north of that water tower. So actually, be on the north side of that of that house. If that makes sense. Yes, thank you. Um, so does that, so the, the existing lines that run there along the back of the houses there, will they be changed in any way? They, they will. So, um, Mary, can you bring up that planning, the, the, the colored map? I think that might be an easier one to, to use to explain. Not sure which one you mean. There's one that had, no, no, there's one that you had like the, 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 the hatched and the, that one there. Okay. Thank you. So, um, the, and I, I apologize. Okay, so the red line is where we have an existing easement. So that's, so when I said it's going to leave the substation and go to Castle, that's the path it's going to follow. And I apologize, I thought I would show more. So where the black line is for the substation, there's an existing transmission line south of that that goes east-west along the east-west side. We will shorten, so, and the way the transmission pole works is the very top of it is transmission. Transmission is, it takes it like from one substation to another substation. And then the bottom part of those wires is called distribution. And the distribution is what feeds your house. So the top portion, the transmission piece will be cut off. And the low part where the distribution is will be left. So if you ask me, will anything change on those structures south of the substation? The answer is yes. We're actually going to lower them because we will no longer need the transmission running along the south side of the substation. And then virtually going east, um, it would it'd be the same. The, the structures out there today would be the same as they would be when we're done. So east of our that red line going east would be about the same. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, have a yes. Uh, okay. uh, Sharon Ashford, Planning Commissioner, thank you. I'll go ahead and yield um, to other questions. Thank you. Sinclair, Chair, thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Other questions? 
Commissioner um, Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission. Uh, since we're looking at siting, let's say we've had three issues brought up here. <laughs> the location, future expansion, and noise. Um, Mary, could you put up that one with the 3D rendering of the site with the four transformers in it, please? That's it. <clears throat> I guess my first question is to Evergy. What is the square footage inside the proposed wall? Commissioner, I'm going to do a former friend again, Casey, Chris, and Casey Coburn is from Portland West. Or he's our design engineer, project manager. Can one of you two please help me with that answer? Because I don't know. Opening up the site plan right now. I'm sorry, my computer during the break disconnected from uh, our server. So I'm opening up the site plan right now to get the dimensions. Well, I think it's uh, 490, oh, by, uh, 490 by 250. Sorry, this is Chris Meyer. Does that sound about right, Casey? 490 by 250. That's 122,000 square feet. 120, 122,000 square feet inside the wall? Yeah, 2.8 acres. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. Um, I didn't know much about substations. I still don't know much, but I sure have looked at a lot of them and <laughs> read as much as I could. And that seems like a lot of space for just four transformers. Um, so how many transformers could theoretically be placed in a substation of 122,000 square feet? Commissioner, based on our standards today, the different substations when they were built had different standards. So based on our standards today that we follow national standards, four would be the most we would put in the substation. Okay. <clears throat> but I, I understand your, what, you're, what you're saying is, well, I could go look at another substation, it looks a lot smaller, and how come this one's so much larger? And my answer back to you is because our regulations and our standard practices for safety purposes have changed over the years. And so this is our standard that Evergy goes with when we build a substation, any place we go with a certain standard. So they're all the same standard wise. They may have different amounts of transformers, but standard wise, square footage wise, they would go based on our standard. All right, thanks. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. So talking about the safety, could you explain the reason? What makes us safer with the additional space? I, I know you had a transformer, um, I guess it was described in the paper as an explosion and fire at Shawnee Mission Parkway in Lackland just two weeks ago. If the same thing happened here, could you explain what the response would be and the danger for fire spreading outside that area? You bet. Um, so, so the one thing, whenever we build a, a transformer and we have a transformer pad, which we also have a containment wall, which is not on this rendering around each transformer, which is approximately four feet high of a concrete wall. So every transformer would have that for a couple of reasons. One is it's full of oil. 
And so that containment, so if that transform would ever have a leak, all that oil would be contained within that that area. So that 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 area is based on the size of the transformer and how much oil is in that transformer, if that would ever happen. The other thing that wall does, and a good example is what you just brought up is a fire that we had over in Trimission. That fire is contained because with that concrete wall, it makes it very difficult for that fire to go anywhere but that wall. So same thing happened over in Trimission. When that happened, that containment wall acted as a barrier and a protection area for that particular transformer, which is one of the reasons why we have to have the spaces that we have because of the of certain things that we now incorporate. We've always had the tra- the the containment walls, just they've gotten a lot thicker and taller based on our new standards. So um, so back to that. So yes, so we would have um, folks, of course, the, the fire department, which we're working with, would be all be um, involved with that as well. But again, it's with that containment wall, it helps us contain that fire on that site. And then we we had somebody within that. They were at that substation within, it was minutes when they got there because of uh, the amount of, we have safety practices of pieces that notify our operators, say, hey, you got a problem with this subsite. And they immediately dispatch and they go and the person that's responsible for that substation get to that site. So they were there very, very quickly. Thank you. Uh, Tim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. So what is the response time, say, to this substation if it's built? Um, what would be the response time to have somebody from Evergy out there shut off the power so emergency personnel could get in? Um, I, I would have to say, I'm not sure I would know that answer. Here's my answer. My answer would be is I'm not the right person that can answer that. So okay. I, I apologize. However, what I can do is I can get you an answer pretty, I can get you an answer for sure by tomorrow on that question. Um, because well, we, some so we have to vote tonight. So, but, well, so, so here's the deal. On, on this substation here, and that's why I don't want to misquote myself, but most of the new substations that we build, it's all connected back into the computer system in Topeka. And so as soon as something happens, they can turn that off right now. They, they, can, they can take that outage immediately and, and, and make that happen. I'm, I'm 99% sure that's how this would work as well. But I'm not the expert. But my answer would be is if there was a, an issue right there, if there's an issue up at Wren, which is the substation at Castle, uh, Bob Billings and Castle, same thing. Our, our operations folks would know, hey, we got a problem. We got an outage. We got a, we got a fire. We got something going on. They can turn that off. And at the same time, when they turn it off, they're able to move the electricity around. So hopefully we don't have an outage on customers. So that's why they're in charge of that is because if we do have a problem in one place, they've got the ability to maneuver to make sure that the least amount of residents are impacted by that outage. So that, that would be a very, very quick. Now, what I can't answer to the fire department, but I can tell you on the energy side, energy side, that would be very, very quick. All right, thank you. And Dennis, this is Casey Colburn, Bartlett West. Dennis, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a local representative that uh, is on call 24 hours a day. Yes. Seven days a week that is notified when there is an issue that meets the fire department there. That's correct. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. I guess I'll stop for now on those topics. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter, Luke Sinclair, um, Chair. Do we have other questions? I, um, I see Commissioner Willie's hand. 
Karen Willey, Planning Commissioner. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to pull us back and talk about the rezoning specifically. Um, Mary, I have a couple of questions, but the first one for you, um, why RS7? So presumably um, this so-called minor utility could probably go in any number of um, zoning districts. Uh, the size of it would suggest it is much more industrial than it would ever be residential. Uh, were, res were, were industrial districts looked at to, to kind of be a more honest representation of what's going on because an industrial district of course would require uh, that buffer yard to be applied on all sides and not just um, as as a courtesy uh, along one side. Um, well that's a two-part question and I'll just talk about the buffer yard first Mary Miller planner. Um, the buffer yard requirement is where industrial zoning lines up with residential zoning. If there's nothing developed on the industrial lot, there can be a waiver from the buffer yard because you'd be buffering from nothing. Or if the view is visible from the other properties, we could still require it, but the, there is some discretion with that. So the reason we did not look at industrial zoning is this does not seem an appropriate location for industrial zoning. The only way industrial zoning could go through is if you did conditional zoning and took out almost all the uses except for this use. The RS7 is a much more appropriate zoning and we could make the golden factors for it. It's exactly the same zoning as everywhere else. If it was zoned RS7 and they decided not to move ahead with a substation, you would have residential uses and a list of other uses that could be done with a special use permit. So the special use permit provides the transparency. It's obvious that's what's going forward. It requires this kind of a hearing and um, I'm gonna have to look at my code and see. I think it requires a special use permit in industrial, but let me check real fast. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Mary, while you're looking, I, I see very much your point that this is uh, the zoning that makes sense in case the the um, um, substation did not move forward so that it would be compatible with the neighborhood. So that makes sense to me. Yes, if this was zoned medium industrial or general industrial, it would not require a special permit. So if we rezoned it to that, we would just be doing a site plan that we would be processing administratively. And I would assume it would go to the city commission because I think the neighbors would appeal our decision. So there's a little bit more protection with going at the RS or the other zoning could be, um, oh, I am misspeaking, I'm sorry. Those are uh, major utilities are permitted, but minor utilities still require the special use permit in those districts. So they would still have the special permit requirement. But yeah, that's why the RS seems more appropriate. Thank you, I'll have more questions later. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Butler, did you have your hand up earlier? I wasn't sure if I had missed that. I did. I was more focused, not necessarily on the zoning, but had a couple of questions for uh, members of our community that had spoken up today. So I will go ahead and um, ask them, Mr. Chair, if I can. Uh, my first one was for Mr. Dixon. Um, Mr. Dixon, I, I do appreciate you coming today and I tried to listen intently, but when people start talking about math and equations, my mind tends to go. So if you could 
kind of explain to us in layman's terms the the noise levels that you talked about, the calculations that you used. Um, you talked about ground vibrations as well. Can you give me an example of if I was to step out into my backyard, um, it, what what would be a good kind of example of what I would hear based on what you were showing us? Okay. Um, I'm not quite sure what you list, but um, a normal backyard is around 40 decibels for our neighborhood. And you would expect from the substation to be above. So it would be in excess of what you normally hear. Now, when two sources of sound are about the same, so if you had, say, in my case, my at my, say, 43 decibels coming from the substation, and it's normally 40. They don't add together as a three, but because they're so close together, the rule of thumb is that you add three decibels to the bigger one. So it actually sound like about 46 decibels altogether. I don't know if that helps you or means anything. Well, Mr. Lawler had um, stated, I think he had referenced 50 decibels in his, um, in his statements. And so... I was just curious how, um, from what you told us, the the kind of normal and what Mary had stated the normal uh, decibels were, like how how much of a sound difference, I guess, is what I was really trying to to figure out. If you go up 10 decibels, it's like hearing it twice as loud. If you went from 40 to 50 decibels, it would sound twice as loud to you. Is it? help at all? I, I, yes, sir. Thank you. Um, um, but he, when he said decibels, I don't remember him giving it. And that's important because the sound noise with distance as surface area gets bigger. So what I was getting, I think I saw in Mary Miller's boots was that it was 65 decibels at six feet. And Lawler, yeah. can you can you help us with that? Did I not hear you correctly? No, you did. So my uh, and I'm not the the uh, the expert on this, but my understanding talking to the substation manager when we get we do have a, I believe it's 50 um, decibel is what's rated for our transformers when they're made in the, in the manufacturer. But I uh, that's my understanding. But you need to know the distance. Is that 50 decibels measured at feet, five feet, feet? Yeah, Mr. Dix, I'm sorry. I don't know that that answer. I don't know the distance. I just know that when I was when this came up in the public meeting that we held for everybody, I know that came up, and so I reached out to him, and that's what he told me. But I didn't. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to guess that's probably that's probably six feet um, from the transformer because I believe that's the standard. My understanding is that's the standard that they use when they measure it. Um, but that's, and like I said, so 50 decibels from six feet of the transformer. Yeah. And that also wouldn't have, but that also would mean that there's no wall between you and the transformer either. It would just be air, medium is the air. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I apologize, Mr. Dixon, were you trying to say something? Well, I just had something I wasn't sure it got across, and then the wall at 10 feet tall, despite asking how thick it was. But being only 10 feet tall, the equipment inside this, 
substation is comparable and, and the sound waves coming from the vibrations into the air from them, those sound waves are going to crack over the edge of that wall. So it's, it's kind of not really a very good barrier at low height. You can really contain it to build a dome over it. Uh, it's going to always act over any surface that you put in a And my um, last question is for, I believe, Mr. and Mrs. Walther had both testified about um, property value, market value of their homes. Um, and I believe Mr. Walther made a statement about um, compensation for lost property value. Ms. Walther, I know you said you did some research. Do you, are you able to provide um, us with any references for the property value statements that you guys uh, had stated? I believe you'll find in your pack, um, I had some web links to articles uh, regarding transmission line views and a law review of studies, including cases in Kansas City where juries found it appropriate to compensate owners whose property values were negatively affected by close power lines because the resale value um, was affected negatively. Um, and if you in any of those links or they didn't attach correctly, um, I'm happy to send those back out again. And that there's many other goals that uh, I didn't have time to comb through, <laughs> but um, I include these three or four uh, in, in, um, that I sent into the packet, I believe. And I have to admit, Ms. Walther, I, I did not click and read every, any sure. links, but I do appreciate your time to the specific um, studies, but I will. Thank you. And that brings up the point. I feel, I mean, I know that um, um, you are not really elected by us, but you represent us. And uh, I just haven't had a lot of time to research um, heavy amounts of information either. So um, we appreciate your position. Thanks. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, Commissioner Ashworth. Chair Ashworth, Planning Commissioner. Um, just uh, piggybacking on the noise um, issue again, um, I went and stood outside of the, the substations at 19th and at the curve on Castled. Um, and so I, I understand what the noise level is without uh, a wall. And so one of the things that was mentioned, Mr. Dixon mentioned that the current, the neighborhood decibel level was, the ambient noise was 40 decibels. Was that daytime, I imagine? Or yeah, well, yes, daytime, or maybe um, Mary Miller knows from her measurements if that was, if that 40 decibels, tracks with daytime ambient noise? Uh, Mary Miller, uh, from my research of uh, what I've seen, 40 decibels is considered the nighttime sound level for nighttime. quiet suburban areas. However, with these properties being next to a large empty field, they may have less noise than many suburban areas. Yes, thank you. Um, Sharon Ashford Planning Commissioner, uh, that's what I was concerned about was the nighttime, nighttime because this is a 24 seven noise um, that we are talking about um, at 
50 decibels, and depending on the wall that's put there, um, how much that will be reduced is critical. Now, I've also um, biked past uh, along the wetlands on the South Lawrence Loop, and I, uh, you know, the bike path is behind a wall, and we can still hear that highway. It's another low-frequency noise that's going past that wall, and you can still hear it through the wall. So I'm a little bit concerned about just how much attenuation of noise there will be, plus Mr. Dixon's concern about noise over that wall um, in terms of the, how much, how effective a 10 foot wall um, might be. I suspect the noise is mostly coming from the transmitters as opposed to the power lines. I don't know what other equipment in there that might be above um, that 10 foot wall, uh, but that would be something uh, to be concerned about is any equipment making noise above that 10 foot wall. Um, and I also was wondering if, um, maybe Mr. Lawler could address the question of the topography where the houses that are up higher on the hill, what kind of a visual buffer is possible um, for those properties? Um, I, I do, one thing I do know we can do, and I, I was talking to Chris Meyer during the break a little bit about, um, we do have noise attenuators where we can help depress the noise um, in some, some of our substations. So we can definitely come back and do that. I think that would also help with those houses that are above the, uh, the, the wall that they, they feel like they're looking down on the substation. We could do that same thing. The other thing that we talked about doing is we probably would reach out and when we did our noise study, then we could also figure out what that noise was and then what noise depressors we could put in there to help with that solution. So we would lean on our engineering staff to help us do that. But I think there's, in terms of we've never had to do that as of today, but that doesn't mean that we, we want we more, more open to look into that and figure that out. So um, I don't know. I know they talked about the noise would be up there, but again, at the same time, it's, it's, it's not going to be directed straight to how, I mean, it's going to be open atmosphere. So, I mean, it's going to be, there's, there will be some um, areas that will get reduced and turn not reduced, but it won't be just directed at one area. But I do think that we can get a study and we can figure that out in terms of um, reducing the noise if it comes out the top of the, over the top of the pole or the wall. Sharon Ashford, Planning Commissioner, thank you. I'll go ahead and um, save more questions for later. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commissioner. I just want to follow up on Commissioner Butler's inquiry about impact on property values. Um, I want to thank the neighbors for including links. I didn't have a chance to look at those, but I've seen other studies and they're kind of all over the board, uh, depending on who does it and whether they're peer reviewed or not. So it's kind of hard to tell, but <clears throat> I just want to direct a question to Evergy. Um, as part of your special use permit application in paragraph three, you made the statement, and it's it's also in our report that Evergy has evaluated property values in residential sales slash construction near substations, and has shown that there is minimal impact on the value of the properties due to their proximity. And in fact, in many cases, a property value increased. Um, did you provide a copy of that study to be included in our packet? I know that what we did is we did a study in Johnson County around our substations there. 
Um, Casey, I, I assume, do you know the answer to that? We did not include that specific study. Casey Colvin Bartlett and Wes, uh, we did not include that specific uh, study in our submittal. Well, it's, it's quite a claim because, you know, what we have often in issues that come before us are claims about impacts on property values. And here we're told there are studies that go both ways and we don't have them, but we just have your assertion that they don't impact property values, which will lead me to another question that was asked by the neighbors um, in that May 18th video meeting you had with them. There was a specific question uh, could you provide examples of other substations that have been built near uh, residential properties? And the answer in that May 18th referred to substations in Topeka and other, other locations. But what was not answered, have you built substations near existing housing or at least this close to existing housing in other, any other place in Lawrence or a neighboring community. Um, I'm, Matt, if you want to help me with this one, I'm per, Johnson County, we, we did a couple over there. I can't think of the names of them. Uh, Matt Armfield is our real estate manager with Evergy. Trying to figure out how to turn my picture on. I'm not <laughs> going to be successful. I struggled there too, Matt. My name's Matt Armfield. I'm the manager of real estate project management in the north area of our territories. So, so you know, we did, we did what we called internal studies. You know, I don't, they were never really peer reviewed, but, you know, to answer your question on the houses, for instance, so we built our 87th street sub, which is near 87th and Mize. And when we bought the sub, we had signs all around it that said, you know, future home of a substation. So all these developments went in around it and, and then we built the substation. So, you know, everyone talks about the value and, and value is an opinion and every person has a different opinion. I mean, an analogy could be a swimming pool. Some people would never buy a house next to a swimming pool or I mean, with a pool in the property and some, and would think, gosh, I got to fill it in. Some would buy and think, well, I'll pay extra because I really want that. So, you know, some people, I mean, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in my career doing this with both substations and transmission lines and people, some people just don't pay attention to it. Some people would think, gosh, it's, you know, not, I know there's no one back there. For instance, you know, you could probably go do an appraisal on the houses right next to the existing KUS substation or have an appraiser pull those sales. And I would estimate those houses sold for just as much as the other houses in the neighborhood. Uh, we, we buy substations many times. We do our best to project and say, okay, growth is going this way. So we go buy a substation like we did the one at 87th and Mize. And, 
and then people get to choose us as a neighbor. And we have, I think, 11 substations in, in Lawrence, the 19th Street substation that's right across from the university. It's surrounded by homes. Uh, we have substations throughout our territory in every city with homes right next to them and people buy and sell them every day. And, you know, they don't seem to sell for discounted rates because if someone wants to live there, like on 19th street, it's a beautiful street. But today we're talking about building a substation. Had we not bought the site, KU could put in a, a dorm right there. They could put in a stadium and, and would that be a better or worse neighbor than us? I mean, we're going to be quiet. So it's just all opinion. And everyone has their opinion, but people buy and sell these properties every day. Jim Carpenter, Planning Commission, don't get me started on how good a neighbor KU is to the surrounding neighborhoods. That's, <laughs> that could be a whole another meeting just there. Um, but I don't think you actually answered my question because the example you gave again is you had a site for a substation that says we're putting one here and then houses were built around that site with knowledge that there was going to be a substation. Those people made a choice. My question is, have you built a substation next to existing housing? Now, the one you're, talk you're talking about replacing, looking at the historic interactive maps for Lawrence, those houses were built in 1967-70, and the substation appears just about the same time. So it's hard to know. I can't tell which way it went then, um, because I don't know the date of your substation. I just know they appeared on the same aerial map at the same time. So I am still would like an answer to my question. Have you ever built a substation, especially of this size, next to existing homes, where the people didn't have a choice whether they purchased that home or not, it, but they ended up with the substation 85 feet from their backyard. At 87 and, miles. Well, what, <laughs> but whatever the feet is, it's, it's <laughs> close. I've been out there. I've seen it. 87 so. miles in Shawnee would be the closest. Okay. If you also, go look at that, that substation is surrounded by two hundred plus thousand dollar homes. Probably closer to three hundred thousand dollar homes. And Commissioner, we also built a, a new substation in Manhattan. It's called the Peel Substation. Um, it was um, is um, uh, Manhattan Technical College sold us a piece of property to build a substation that's surrounded by. Um, apartments surrounded by residential houses. We built that in the last two years, and that was uh, um, on uh, Suchild, um, on the west side of Manhattan. So the, uh, Manhattan Technical College. But yes, that was that was a lot beforehand. Um, as part again, it's part of the university, right? It's a college. It's part of the college, and they sold a piece of property that was surrounded by residential houses, and we built that. All right, thank you. I don't have any other questions right now. Lou Sinclair, Chair, Commissioner Shanklin. Uh, 
Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I, I have a few questions. I, I'd like to start with Mr. Lawler. Um, I, I didn't see this covered anywhere in the materials. What is the proportion uh, currently of the power supplied by this substation to KU as opposed to the community? This substation, when we have a substation and it's generated for transmission purposes, it goes everywhere. This isn't for KU, this is for the community. So um, when we so when we have a substation, I can't say, well, you know what, uh, 2% is gonna go to the university, 4% is gonna go to this, this um, apartment complex. It doesn't quite work that way. We build a, and we just put the, we put the electricity on the grid and then it goes, but it's not purposely built just to uh, supply KU with electricity. Um, and as customers come in and people come in, they'll use that, but it's it's not dedicated for just one location, if that makes sense. It, it does. What, what I'm trying to gauge is um, some measure of the proportionate benefit that KU might derive relative to the city of Lawrence. Um, is there any way you can put up? Yeah. KU, here's, here's, I'm, this is, it's not a cop-out answer, but the, the answer I have is KU will get no more benefit, no less benefit than the citizens of Lawrence, than the citizens of Douglas County, because it will all, it will benefit everybody. It's, it's just, uh, there's not a, a piece of it or a portion of it that, that's directed to go to KU. But I know that's okay. not, a, 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 the chuckles is, is, I'm, uh, I'm is gonna... fair. <laughs> I'm going to push just a little bit harder on yep, this. Absolutely. Um, can, can can you say that KU does derive substantial benefit from this? Where I where I see the benefit for KU is in the engineering program because there are certain things within the substation that we can help their engineering program with. But as generating electricity for the benefit of KU, it, it, again, I, I go back to my my answer is it helps Lawrence Douglas County. The, the whole area as much as it does KU. There's no one, because I can't tell you that's going to go to KU. That, that's, I know, that's okay. what I need to I understand. That, that's very helpful. Thank you. Then I, I have a couple of questions for Mr. Larkin, if he's on the call. Um, perhaps he's not. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Give us a minute. I think there might be a, a bit of a technical glitch. Kyle Kirby with planning. We'll work to uh, see if we can uh, get okay. Randy. Okay. I, I, I can, if, if there's a way to pass this question along to him at some point during this discussion, I'd appreciate it. But my, my first question is whether or not the KU endowment receives the benefits of the cooperation agreement. This is Randy Larkin, deputy city attorney. I apologize. You cut out right when you said my name, apparently. I didn't know you were asking me that. I didn't know you were not. So I'm just sitting here standing and staring at everybody like everybody else. So go ahead. I, I, I was wondering if the KU Endowment Association receives the 
the same benefits of the cooperation agreement that KU does. The agreement is that is to say, no, the, the agreement is between KU and the, the city. KU endowment is a separate entity and they do not. They're not part of the agreement. But nonetheless, the property was zoned UKU before. Correct. And so I'm not sure I'm not sure I quite understand that. I assume that maybe KU had some interest in it. I don't know the quite the details of it, but I know that property was or is zoned UKU. I don't know if it was a situation where it was KU property and then they sold it to the endowment and it stayed with that zoning or what the history of that property is, but I do know it was zoned UKU and our agreement is not with the endowment association, it's with the university. So, so where I was going with this is to follow on something that Mr. Armfield raised, which was that, um, you know, that KU could have built dorms on this property. And I, one of the possibilities, of course, is that they could have simply ground leased the property to Evergy. And if that were the case, um, would we be talking about this at all? Because Evergy then could proceed um, as, as if they were, uh, you know, effectively receiving the benefits of the 150-foot buffer. Theoretically, yes, that could have happened. Okay. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth. Chair Ashworth, Planning Commissioner. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Mr. Shanklin's uh, question brought up a question in my mind. Can you tell us, is there a service area for this substation? Do substations have defined service areas? In terms of a service area, the answer would be that local area, yes. If this, back to my explanation, you have, a trans, you have transmission and you have distribution. Transmission goes county to county, state to state. It, it's, the, it's the big power overhead that goes, that's what you want to go to the substations. The distribution piece is what goes to our houses. So when you put a transformer in that substation, the transformer takes the higher transmission voltage and, and lowers it to a local distribution voltage. So then it goes to areas within the city and feeds all the residents. So the answer to your question is yes, it would be the city of Lawrence. But back to, I believe it was Commissioner Carpenter asked about the fire. When we got to go turn a transmission uh, transformer off, we had the ability to, to uh, cover that transformer with other transformers from other parts of our territory. So we had the ability within Lawrence because of the 10 or so different substations that we feed Lawrence, but it also would feed Douglas County. We could also send that over and feed somebody in Johnson County or Shawnee County. So it starts out there, but it depends on what the system is, where the needs are, and where the high usages are taking place, if that, that answers your question. Um, yes, uh, thank you. I, I thought it was more defined than that, so thank you. Um, and my, my one other question is, you mentioned in an earlier, in an earlier part of the presentation that you had moved the site for the substation a little bit to the north. Can you tell me how far north is it possible to build this substation? Oh, so we, we moved as far north as we can with the property that we bought. 
So we originally we're going to have the substation farther south and we're going to take out more trees. And that wasn't a good idea. So we moved as far north as we can to the property that we own that we bought from KU Endowment. So it's, it's as far as north as it can go with, with our standards that we meet today and where it sits. And that's what's on the plat in our that's Correct. That's okay. correct. Thank you. This is Casey Bartlett and West. Um, to build on that, on Dennis's comment there is KU has, or KU Endowment had some stipulations of what could be on their property and what can be on this property. Meaning there was a comment from one of the um, residents that there was a lot of open space on to the north and everything like that. KU Endowment will not allow a sway on their property. They wanted the stormwater managed on Evergy's property. So that's why the swale kind of backs up to the north property line through there is that they didn't want, um, they could have the, the tying in the slopes and everything, but they wanted the stormwater routed on Evergy's property that Evergy would be the one maintaining the swales, um, keeping them cleaned out, mowing them uh, as needed. And, and maintaining that area. So that's why the, the, there were some stipulations with it that the swales um, had to be, the final stuff had to be on Evergy's property and not on KU endowments because they did not want to be the ones responsible for the stormwater. Did I explain that correctly, Dennis? Thank you, Casey, you did. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Commissioner Ashworth, did that address what you were trying to get at? Yes, thank you. Uh, I see Luke Sinclair, Chair. I see uh, Randy Larkin's hand up. Yes, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. I want to re return to my comments to Commissioner Shanklin. I believe that this property, even if it was owned by KU, is actually outside the boundaries of our agreement. So I don't know that it would be covered by our agreement and they would have to cover. it. Was, even though it's zoned UKU, it would be subject to the city's zoning laws. It's not subject to the actual KU property. I think the K the boundaries are that are a little bit to the east of this property, and it doesn't quite reach this property, as I recall. So I just wanted to clarify that. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you, Randy. Commissioner Shanklin, did you have any follow-up on that? Um, so Commissioner Rexroad, did I see your hand out? Yes. Hey, Gary Rexroad, Commissioner. Um, a couple questions. Um, from the beginning of uh, this presentation that we talked about, one of the catalysts for this project being to uh, provide for KU West Campus growth. Is that correct? I guess for Mr. Lawler? That's correct. KU West Campus growth, yeah. any, any growth in that community. That's correct, yep. Commissioner. Crown jewel of, of Lawrence, we absolutely want to need to find ways to provide for that, get it. If it were not for KU's growth, this project I think would be substantially different than what's being proposed. Is that true? That, that's correct, Commissioner. That's All right. right. When I think about KU and how KU is, is zoned today, UKU, if KU wasn't KU, maybe this is a question for Mary, um, if it were a commercial enterprise in our in our community, um, that would be zoned differently. Um, and is that correct, Mary? It wouldn't it wouldn't be zoned RS7. It depends upon 
what the commercial entity. I mean, if it's going to be a commercial use, they'd have to zone it to a district that would allow whatever their use uh, is. So right. uh, we don't allow special use permits for commercial uses. I mean, we do allow it for bed and breakfast. That's a commercial use right. that could be here. So if you look at the list of commercial... I'm, I'm talking about something about the scale that KU is today. That's not bed and breakfast. That's something very, very substantial. And I, I guess the point that I'm that I'm trying to understand for myself is um, with an unusual circumstance where uh, we've got this 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 very large enterprise in need of a substantial uh, bit of infrastructure to be built, and substations have to go someplace. If this was all residential around there, it would make sense that, okay, this is the place that it would need to be. But because it is um, to support something that is very different from the area that's around it, something that's much more industrial, um, it, it, is, it, is it really fair, honest to say that RS7 um, uh, zoning is the appropriate thing for that, given the need really is something more akin to um, uh, significant commercial development. Mary Miller Planner, I'm, I'm not aware that the substation is intended to serve primarily KU, but if that is the case and this was a substation for KU, I would have suggested that they keep it on their property and not rezone at all. So I, I'm afraid I don't really think I follow your question. Yeah, Scary Rexford Commissioner, thank you, Mary. Um, what I'd asked in the beginning was that uh, if this was designed to be used primarily to support KUS campus growth? The answer was yes. And if that, and if it was not for that, would this project be substantially different? The answer was yes. Therefore, if, if not for KU, this very large commercial group, wouldn't the zoning requirement for that be somewhat different? And if this is a rookie guy asking silly questions, please forgive me. But it seems to me, though, that it's inconsistent this industrial size substation being put where it is right next to residence would be treated differently if it were in fact zoned differently for a larger commercial space. Planning, Mary Miller. You know, if we're rezoning a property for commercial development, then we have to look at all the commercial development that could go there. And so we would not see this as an appropriate location. There's a lot of commercial development that could just go in with administrative site plans. But since this is a large development, that we want oversight on. The RS7 district seems appropriate. It's an appropriate matching district, but it allows the oversight. And it's the same oversight you would get if you rezoned any other district. It's just yeah. that you're not allowing all those other uses in. And we would not be able to meet the comprehensive plan requirements to say, yes, this is a great place for industrial zoning. A minor utility use is the same, whether it serves the university or if it serves a large residence, the particular use we're looking at, the utility doesn't change because of who it serves. So I think we're just, I'm just looking at the utility as a utility, and I didn't ask who would be getting their electricity, you know, in the evaluation. Right. Right. Mary, thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner, if I may, I mean, it does serve um, KU, for KU um, growth, but it also serves for Lawrence growth. It, so I don't want to make it sound like it's just for KU because it's not. Back, I'm, I'm just want to make sure I'm clear that there's no way I can distinguish how much electricity is going to go to KU versus how much is not going to go to KU. Right. Yeah, Commissioner Rexford, thank you for that. I do understand that point. Okay. I do I do also know that the answer when I asked the question, would the project be different if not supporting KU West Campus? The answer was yes, it would be very different. Uh, Commissioner, All I right. misunderstood. It would not be. It would not be much different. I mean, the bottom line is with the growth 
that happens, this would be the same because it's all about growth in the in Lawrence and we can't get a full loop in Lawrence. So this project would go forward, or at least we would pro provide the same application um, regarding KUS campus growth because we expect it to grow, but we also expect Lawrence to grow. So it's all, all of it. It's just not just that one piece. So, right. so I apologize if I, no, no, if no. I misspoke there. Thank you, Schlauber. Thank you for clarification. Luke Sinclair Chair, Commissioner Shanklin. Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. Um, Commissioner Rexford, uh, thanks for further developing the, the point that I was trying to make originally um, when I asked about the proportion of benefit that was to be received by KU because, and again, this may involve Mr. Larkin, um, I believe that as a technical matter, we can't read this as a minor utility because minor utilities require public utilities and to the extent the benefit is largely received by a third party that is not a member of the public, um, it's difficult to say that it complies with the code. Um, it, that does require a determination that it's largely to be received by KU, I think. Um, so that was, that was the point of my question. Thanks. Luke Sinclair Chair. If I could ask you, Commissioner Shanklin, just a, a clarification: when you, you when you talk about the benefit, are you talking about the benefit of the of the actual um, service that the substation is providing, or the the land trans transaction itself? I, no, the the service is to be provided because if if the station is sized for KU for KU's future growth then I think it's hard, it, it, it certainly stresses the, the definition of public utility. And if it can't meet the definition of public utility, then it can't be treated as a minor utility and we can't grant the special use. That's, that would be my reading of the code. Um, that's why I would defer to Mr. Larkin, I think. You have Craig Planning and Development Services Director. I think to Commissioner Shanklin's point there, the land development it provides the definition of utility minor, and it includes the definition of a substation as part of that definition. There, it also, and I'm trying to wait for my computer to be uh, done with. If it's very angry, I mean, I'm not going to try to scroll anymore on it for a moment. Um, I understand that a, a substation that serves a specific subdivision can be approved by a site plan, but if it's approved for a division or multiple subdivisions and that raises it up to that level so i was waiting for the spinning blue wheel to quit spinning while i can scroll some more but i believe that, that mary can back that definition for me <laughs> mary miller yeah i can pull up the definition of minor utility utility if, if I might interject um, while you're doing that, um, I, the point that I was trying to make is you don't get to that point if it's not a public utility. And so how we define public utility itself is, is the crux. And if the utility serves primarily KU or to a large extent KU, then I think it really stresses the definition of public utility. And if you can't get to public utility, you can't feed it into the definition. 
it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I, uh, Mary Miller, I found the definition of utilities minor, it's, and it does use the term public utilities that have a local impact on surrounding properties. Typical uses include electrical and gas distribution substations and others and water towers. I don't think we've ever made a differentiation between a public utility as to who they serve. If you serve the public and you serve a hospital or the KU, or we've never divided our utilities into specifics and tried to aim at what portion of the population are they serving? I, I don't know if that's the question you're asking, or Jeff, perhaps you could you know, understand this better than I do. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin, that, that is another way to state the question I was asking, and I, I, I would be interested in um, Mr. Larkin's response to that. I, I do believe it's a legal question. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. The city is pretty much looking, looking at it. I, I tracked down the definition of it. Uh, in that this would be a third party who would be providing service to somebody, whether or not it's specifically to KU or mostly to KU or to a surrounding neighborhood would be deemed a public utility for the purposes of our code. Thank you. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, I see a hand up from Matt Armfield. Mr. Armfield, thanks for raising your hand, first of all. And secondly, feel free to um, chime in on it if you'd like. Thank you. So I just wanted to, everyone was discussing who it serves. So I walked that, those distribution lines with a new guy that I have working for me doing distribution in the distribution planners and the KUS sub today has three main circuits coming out of it. If you go stand there, there's lines that come out and they go east and they go to KU. There's lines that go west that serve all the houses along the north side of 19th. And, and I don't know where they all go exactly, but across Castled, up and down Castled. And then there's a third line that goes south that serves that whole subdivision to the south and continues on south of that next mile road south of there. I'm not sure the name of it, but so three of the four lines or, or two of the three lines that come out of that existing KUS sub serve residential and other commercial churches, whatever. And, and the new sub is going to have one transformer just like the old and that's its goal. And then, we always at, at Evergy, I'm not an engineer, but I sit in a lot of meetings. I stayed at Motel 6. I'm sorry, I had to throw that in. <laughs> but we, uh, you know, they always do the ultimate plan. They call it the ultimate plan. And, and, if, and if, like Dennis said, a big industry comes in or, or people build a lot of stuff and start using a lot more electricity, which we're kind of heading toward as an industry, as a society, then we need to be able to serve them. So we're, when we build new substations, we make plenty of space to make sure we don't run out of electricity. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Armfield. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Any other questions or comments from other commissioners? <clears throat> Commissioner Willie. 
Karen Willey, Planning Commissioner. I want to talk a little bit about public engagement. Um, I know we have had a, a long history of, of asking that applicants, uh, especially for a large project or something that is kind of drastically different than what's been there before, that they spend a significant amount of time meeting with neighbors and answering questions before they come to this public meeting. Um, we've entertained quite a few of those questions here in a public setting, so this may kind of render that bit moot, but um, for the most part, I think for something that is uh, this big of a deal to a neighborhood, it seems like the one uh, public, the one engagement meeting that that happened between Evergy and the neighborhood and it being only on Zoom, which I understand the, the, the times for that, um, might not be sufficient for what we had typically asked for from applicants. Can any other commissioners kind of weigh in on, on where they feel that this lies? If, if uh, we have in the past sent things back to have um, more neighborhood discussions with the applicant before we even took the item up. So we've already engaged quite a bit, but I'm just curious from other commissioners, how are you feeling about that? Uh, Commissioner Carter, sorry, Luke Sinclair Chair. Thanks, David Carter. Uh, Commissioner, um, thank you, Commissioner Willie, for bringing that up. This is exactly the, the, um, the thought that's been on my mind as I have sat here silently for the last hour, just listening and taking in uh, the, the excellent questions from the other commissioners. Um, one of the things that keeps striking me is that, you know, this is not an, in, this is not a new invention. This is not an innovative um, um, development that's never been done anywhere. Um, this is, you know, a, this should be a standard um, engineering project, civil engineering project uh, with standard procedures for engaging neighbors. Now, as you said, I know it's, um, you know, the pandemic has, has messed up, uh, disrupted uh, public engagement. Um, but if this is truly intended to have a minimal impact on the daily lives of the neighbors, it should be easier to convince the neighbors that that's the case by way of demonstrating um, noise mitigation through um, the height and thickness of the walls and the material. For example, sound absorbing versus sound re reflecting uh, materials. Also, um, um, I believe it was Mr. Lawler talked about the insulation uh, to contain vibrations. Um, uh, the fact that um, the point that Mr. Allman raised about the, um, the bicycle plan was something that had somehow not even inter intersected with um, the, the, uh, the planning of, of the, uh, the Evergy team seems to me that some communications were, were, were missed along the way. Um, you know, as someone who doesn't live anywhere nearby, uh, I'm, my, in, my uh, inclination is to think this is probably not a big deal, you know. Um, a a pod of of refrigerator uh, noise emitting um, um, transformers uh, aren't likely to interfere with my daily life. But I'm I don't live there, and I'm not a neighbor, and I'm not going to be directly impacted by this. So um, my my inclination at this point would be to ask for a deferral for uh, Evergy to have more time to um, to engage with the neighbors. Um, 
and convince them that this is either convince them that the the plans they've made so far are truly adequate or I, I think we've heard from the Evergy team, they've been very accommodating in saying, you know, they would they would be willing to adapt uh, their plans to this or that condition. I think those are the kinds of conversations that ideally ought to take place yet before we commit to giving them license to to build this out because my, my and, and maybe this is, I'm going to turn this around. Forgive me, uh, Commissioner Willie. I know you're, you're asking other commissioners, but I'm going to take the opportunity to ask staff at this point, if we were to, if we were to approve all three items before us, what would, what, um, what leverage would uh, the city still have to uh, enforce um uh, the kinds of uh, accommodations that uh, the Evergy team has seemed to entertain at this point. Mary Miller, planner, and I'm afraid I just heard Jeff. I was just going to say that um, the one condition we have about the sound study that would go to the city commission and they could make a determination if the sound level is adequate and the sound mitigation measures are adequate, or this could come back to you if you'd rather. And, um, Jeff, I know I stepped on top of you, so I'll back out. <laughs> Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services Director. Mary, you, you said exactly what I was going to say, so I can't add anything more to that one on that part. I would say for the commission's knowledge on that one, you know, you, deferrals have to have reasons and, and ground in your bylaws, now, you know, for further information and those kind of details there. So we'd need a little bit of direction if that was contemplated for that one. But the the special use permit does allow for the city commission to add conditions and modifications to this that would allow it to have different effects to it than what you would normally see under a site plan or under something that would be an administrative item. So there is a little bit more um, fine tuning that can occur in a special use permit in some ways that you can't get with other design items. So uh, Commissioner Carter, Carter, I hope that got to your question there. Um, thank you, David Carter, Commissioner. That 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 gets to exactly uh, my my question because um, um, I, it, it seems to me that there are a number of accommodations that likely would still be needed, which are beyond the scope of what we can discuss tonight. Um, that would um, not uh, that would convince um, neighbors that 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 their concerns are being satisfied. Um, or being addressed. And um, so I'm not sure what the, the appropriate vehicle for that would be, whether it would be uh, deferral or, as you say, um, you know, having a special use permit conditional on, um, on and I, I don't even know what kind of language we would, uh, we would, um, we would engage. To, but but I, that, that's basically what I'm getting at, that that additional measures would need to be made to reach an agreement with neighbors on things like noise mitigation. Um, and uh, and uh, well, we haven't even talked about some of uh, the, at least the, the concerns expressed in the, um, um, in, in the letters about, you know, uh, electrical fields. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I don't know, um, I can't speak to that, but I, but perhaps um, I, I don't want to defer too much away from Commissioner Willie's point. But I think I would still like to uh, hear somebody address the science around electromagnetic fields, 
And uh, because again, this isn't new. This is something that um, the intersection of uh, the, the electrical grid and residential neighborhoods, um, I, I'm sure there's uh, literature out there, but I don't know what it, what it, what it says. Um, so forgive me, I'm gonna um, uh, defer back to Commissioner Willie. Uh, you've heard from one, one commissioner, do you wanna hear from more? Karen Willie, uh, Planning Commissioner. Uh, yes, I mean, we've done this before. We have deferred specifically to have the applicant in, do more community engagement. Um, I think something like the electromagnetic radiation or, or emissions, that's exactly something that is kind of beyond our purview, but something, it's a conversation that the um, utility would need to have with the neighbors because they would be able to provide more information about that than, than we could help to facilitate. So those questions, um, the environmental impacts, I mean, it's a huge amount of dirt moving. Uh, they're just, I think there are conversations to be had that might be outside of this meeting, but I happily hear from other commissioners. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioners Willie and Carter. Um, Commissioner Carpenter, do you have any thoughts on that? I have many thoughts. Let's see if I can narrow them in. Um, you know, one of the helpful things that the neighbors provided in their PowerPoint was a timeline. And, you know, the KU Endowment and Evergy have been working on this plan for years. And the land purchase was a couple of years ago. And I could ask, you know, Mary or Jeff, um, when was the pre-application meeting with Evergy about this project? Another planner. I'm going to have to look in my file here and find out. I'll check on that. Okay, I'll go on and we'll get that date. But you know, there's a point well taken here. Um, Evergy has had the availability of city staff to work with them to develop plans to present to us, and it's been going on for quite a while. I mean. It may have been sometime in January, because that's when there was a Orange Journal World story on January 27th of this year, which seemed to be from a press release from Everett describing this project and questions to, to Jeff about what the steps would have to be. So he outlined them there. So at least since January, they've been working with staff. The neighbors maybe had a little notice if they had picked up on what this really was in the journal world in January. I know they kind of had an idea of what was coming in May. Um, they had that one meeting on May 18th with no additional feedback one way or the other uh, uh, from give or take on that. I know that they've contacted Mary with many questions and there were responses and, and such, but still nobody knows what the actual plan is until a week before our meeting. And that gives nearby residents almost no time to prepare to bring in their arguments. And I have to commend the neighborhood. They've created a whole neighborhood association around this. 
this is what happens in Lawrence. This is how we get a lot of our neighborhood associations. It's because of big projects that didn't seem to really listen to the neighbors or work with the neighbors to come up with some something that would be acceptable when they come in. And it's really quite unfair to have such a limited amount of time for the public to respond. The public is made up of volunteers and lay people. Sometimes you get a professional that's in a neighborhood that can weigh in, but usually it's, it's all volunteer time. And they don't have the benefit of actually working with staff to have everything uh, described to them. So, yeah, I, I have problems with all that. And, and then in addition to this, should the neighborhood not agree with our decisions and they want to do a protest petition, I seriously doubt that they have the appropriate land area just along North 19th Street to have a successful protest petition because most of the land surrounding this is this KU endowment and KU, and they're not going to protest. So they don't even have the benefit of that. <laughs> so, you know, they force a supermajority decision at the city commission just by virtue of who the landowners are. So the neighbors are really at a disadvantage, and I don't have a problem with having a little more time to look into noise attenuators or suppressors, the way to have the bike path go through here or the future building of it so it's not obstructed, and, and who knows what other issues. And I know we've heard many of them, and um, you know, there's some that are outside our purview, like EMFs, but those are things that should be fleshed out. There should be information because they're not beyond the purview of the city commission. So it'd be good to have actually more information. And I would still like to see any studies about impacts on property values. I'd like to see that if we defer this and we come back. Because we have assertions on both sides about impacts on that. And we know there's literature out there. It'd be nice to have Evergy's study. And it'd be nice to see, have a chance to review some of this other. Again, that's more a city commission level thing, but I think it, it could help us because the city and county commissions really depend on us on fleshing these matters out. Um, so they have the advantage of learning a lot before it comes in front of them. So I'm not opposed to deferring this to, to have Evergy work but more with the neighbors and to get more information to us before we come back. Luke Sinclair Chair. Uh, Mary. Mary Miller Planner. I was just going to respond to the question Commissioner Carpenter had about we had a pre-application meeting in November of 2020 and Evergy sent a letter to neighbors in January of 2021 informing them of the process and um, so the neighbors have been informed and uh, as soon as the application was submitted you know we began communicating with the neighbors. When the signs went up which would have been 20 days before this meeting uh, we did a quite a bit of communication and so I I don't have an opinion either way I just wanted to give you that part of the timeline Luke Sinclair chair thank you uh, Mary any other commissioners want to um, weigh in on deferral their preferences on that or what they their comments on it excuse me Commissioner Rexford 
Yes, uh, just very quickly, I would absolutely support the giving the the opportunity for the applicant for the neighbors to work again. Um, I was very impressed with um, what the neighbors were able to bring together in a pretty short pretty short period of time. Um, I think they had an awful lot of very good information that maybe wasn't considered from the the point of view of of the lot looking back, but maybe from the neighbors looking down. Um, and I think there could be some benefit all around if if only to help the neighbors feel better about the project and be able to get their input in so it can be tweaked to better suit their neighborhood or maybe even go so far as to help um, Evergy and the applicant um, understand that maybe other locations that they're op that they're uh, suggesting are viable as well. I'd sure support that. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford, Luke Sinclair Chair. Commissioner Ashworth. Chair National Planning Commission, um, I too would support, I would, uh, support the comments that have been made about uh, public involvement and the information, uh, more information that is needed. And one piece of information um, that I don't think has been covered yet is the impact on the stream corridor there. Um, there hasn't been a lot of uh, discussion about that. I know there's a nationwide permit associated with that crossing, uh, but I don't know if uh, that might be some, that'd be something worth discussing given the rainfall changes that we're seeing in the gully washers we're experiencing. I'm a little concerned about uh, the speed of water through that and whether the culvert is sufficient. I've been on properties lately where um, culverts are going over stream, but it's still blasting out the stream banks um, with these rains we've had. So I'd be curious about that nationwide permit that was given for that. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Um, Luke Sinclair, Chair, excuse me. Uh, commissioners, does anyone else want to um, offer their comments on this topic? Um, while thinking about that, I want to give uh, Casey Colburn, opportunity raised his hand. Mr. Col Colburn, uh, did you have something to say about this? Yeah, um, thank you very much, Casey Colburn, Bartlett, and West. Um, very quickly, just two things. Uh, one that keeps on coming up uh, is the bike path. And um, a lot of that is uh, the master plan that was shown and everything. That's actually lines up with KU Endowment's property, and they're kind of in control of where the bike path would go. Um, Evergy, if you look at the preliminary plat and everything, doesn't really own any property east of the substation. So um, that was a comment from um, uh, David Cronin about the um, about the bike path that we responded back to in our initial submittal, that that is part of KU Endowment's um, a discussion with them because Evergy doesn't own that property and they don't control the property up to Bob Billings. But the culvert is sized. And so this leads into the next comment about the stormwater. The culvert is a triple 14 foot by 12 foot box. So it's 14 feet high, 36 feet wide. Um, it was a HECRAS study was done, submitted to Matt Bond, uh, reviewed, and that will all go to, that's been gone through the Corps of Engineers. And now the next step will go to the state of Kansas for review for a no rise, meaning the water surface elevation won't change. Um, it's pretty much being designed to KDOT standards for a bridge. So we're just not putting a few pipes in. Um, it's matching what's upstream at Bob Billings, uh, up, upstream at Bob Billings um, and Lawrence Avenue. 
So um, those are things that have all been reviewed and um, approved by the city of Lawrence. So just, I know that uh, that was just a question there at the very end um, and how the bike path tied into all that. So thank you very much. Um, I know we're, we're getting late into the night, but I just wanted to make sure we hit on that real quick. Thank you, Mr. Colburn. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth, I guess on the flood and uh, stormwater issue, do you have any thoughts in response to that? Or, or is it something you'd still like to have more information on if we were to defer this? Uh, thank you. Uh, Sharon Ashworth, uh, Planning Commission. Um, I guess I would just like to see the language in the nationwide permit, but that's, uh, I, that gave me a lot more information um, than what I was aware of. And I would like, I'll go look at the Bob Billings and Lawrence Avenue. Uh, area that was spoken of. Okay, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, Commissioner Willie, I see your hand. I just want to ask, though, first, uh, Mary, um, in light of Mr. Colburn's comments on the um, bike path, I guess maybe just for confirmation from you, is is the bike pathway, based on what he's saying, outside of the property line where this would be? Mary Miller Planner. Yes, it is. It's located on the KU property. And the city engineer had asked if they, because they're going to put in pavement, you know, for their temporary construction access, a little to the west of where the bike trail is shown on the plans. And he had asked if they could leave that and they could use it as a base for the bike path rather than having to put something in later. And Evergy said, well, that you'd have to talk to KU because that land, we don't own that. We can't say if we would leave it, you know. Right now with KU, I think they have an agreement they would remove it. So um, the city can still work with KU about seeing if we can keep what they put in for their temporary construction access to use that as a basis for our bike path. And no one had mentioned um, the crossing that I don't recall the crossing, but um, I could talk to the city engineers and see how they envision that working if uh, they feel the culvert would be the adequate place. But if you defer it, I can certainly check into that with them. And perhaps uh, they could come to the meeting or just provide maybe written comment to it so you could have that. Okay, Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you very much. Um, Commissioner Willie, I saw your hand go up. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Mary very much covered the point I wanted to point out. Very good, Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, and Mr. Allman, I see your hand up. Uh, I assume you want to um, speak to something related to the bike path, and that's fine. If you wouldn't mind just keeping your comments uh, fairly short, that would be appreciated. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, I just wanted to point out that, yes, Evergy, do, Evergy does not own the property east of that site, but they are putting 12, uh, 20 feet of fill in that drainage way. So apparently KU is an agreement, or KU Endowment is an agreement that they can fill 20 feet for their road. And Mr. Lawler has pointed out that they're willing to put a, a, an additional culvert underneath it for the bikeway. So I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Allman. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, does anybody else have any comments they'd like to make? Any uh, commissioners, that is. Um, it's getting late, but I, Mr. Colburn, I'll let you uh, um, speak to this uh, one more time, and then we might just need to move towards seeing if we have to yep. a motion in hand. 
I just wanted to clarify the last comment. Um, this Casey Colvin Bartlett West. I don't think Mr. Lawler said an additional culvert would be put in place, but one of the three culverts could potentially be used. Just wanted that for the record. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I guess uh, there's been discussion of a number of, uh, I guess, subject areas or topics that we'd be interested in having more information on in addition to um, seeing if the neighbors and uh, Evergy would be able to have a little more of a discussion. Um, and so I, I guess I'm wondering if anybody wants to try to um, summarize what, what information we're looking for and even consider making a motion. The reason I ask that, I guess, is based on what Jeff said, and, and I, the bylaws do indicate that we should, I mean, it, deferrals are to, uh, are for the purpose of gathering adequate information to make a well-informed decision. So I can see his point in us giving direction on that <clears throat> instead of just saying, you know, we're deferring so that the applicant and the neighbors can get together and talk. I think we ought to ask for the four or five subject areas that we're really interested in when we when we do this if we, if this is the way that things are going commissioner carter um uh, david carter commissioner i <clears throat> i can kick things off um if we're making a list here um i think the the obvious points that came up earliest uh were around noise mitigation um we had both in terms of the um, the height, the thickness, and the material of the of the surrounding wall. Um, there was also the um, noise uh, dampening uh, qualities of the of the foundation. So, getting getting some sort of specs that would that would um, that would uh, convince us and uh, and presumably also the neighbors on on that. Um, and then, of course, this this issue that um that mr allman raised about the bike path i think the issue of um the uh of, of the junction you know crossing the road whether that would be by way of you know using the the culvert the existing culvert uh or i shouldn't say existing but the planned culvert for the road which obviously as uh mr um um i'm looking for my as Mr. Lawler mentioned, would have to be uh, there's safety concerns around um, that. You know, when you've got a storm event, you know, I know we've seen um, uh, you know bicycle paths that say you know impassable during high water, but I mean that's a that's a real safety threat using a drainage culvert for 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 transportation. Um, let's see, I'll, I'll I'll yield to anybody else who wants to add to the list. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, Commissioner Ashworth. Chair Ashworth, Planning Commissioner. Uh, one of the things that jumped out also is the property value question. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Ashworth. Commissioner Rexroad. 
Yeah, Commissioner Rexrod, um, consistent uh, through at least the early part of the neighbor's feedback was suitability of location. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrod, Luke Sinclair Chair. Was there anything else that anyone can recall or think of from the commission? Commissioner Willie. Karen Willie, Planning Commissioner. Uh, the buffer, the buffer yard conditions was another issue and uh, um, discussing impacts, potential impacts of uh, EMF and probably um, power line that are already existing versus what the substation would add or subtract. Thank you for those extra ones, Commissioner Willie. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Um, I'm happy to entertain any others from the commission or um, if someone feels Comfortable making a motion. Um, I, I think it's probably a good idea to uh, have a motion on um, on whether or not we want to defer. Because uh, if we don't, we <laughs> we have um, other votes that we need to uh, take tonight, or other motions to consider. Commissioner Carter. Thanks, David Carter. Uh, chair, uh, they don't, I did it. David Carter, Commissioner. It's habit. Um, I have a, a question for staff, actually, whether we would need individual motions. Uh, if, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, Mr. Chair, we have the option to, for example, vote on just the rezoning um, and then uh, and then have separate motions for the uh, site plan and the special use permit. But I guess I would just like to ask uh, Mary or Jeff whether we would could have just one motion for all three items uh, if we were to defer those or if we'd need to make individual motions for each. Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. In the instance of that, I would say you could make a motion for one to defer all three applications because uh, we have the guidance for that from, excuse me, we have the, the list that you provided for guidance on the information there. So we could we could take that as one motion in that instance. Thank you, Jeff. David Carter, Commissioner, with that in mind, Mr. Chair, I'd be happy to make a motion uh, if you feel the time is right. Please do. Thank you, David Carter, Commissioner. Uh, I uh, move that we um, uh, recommend deferral of items uh, 2A, 2B, and 2C uh, in order to give the applicant adequate time to gather information on the, on the uh, items that we have listed um, uh, requesting more information. And uh, also to engage with, uh, with neighbors on the same subjects. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Uh, thank you for that, Commissioner Carter. Um, and just before we, I asked for a second. Um, uh, well, Commissioner Shanklin, did you have a second or did you have a, a comment to make? 
Commissioner Shanklin. Um, I actually had a comment. Um, I, my question is, uh, it, it seems to me that we want to give the applicant more time to, to generate the information, but isn't there also an instruction to staff to facilitate a meeting um, or some, some kind of communication between the applicant and the neighborhood? Um, because I, I think that's one of the things that um, will help us to rarefy the issues that we're going to be deciding on once this new information uh, comes to light. But I just want to ask that question, if we wanted to modify the motion to, to include some instruction to staff to facilitate those communications. Thanks. Um, David Carter, Commissioner, if I may, I, I'd like to defer that to um, to staff and ask whether that is a uh, would be an appropriate uh, part of this, or whether it's it would be adequate just to direct the uh, the applicant to engage directly with the um, with the neighbors. What 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 is more appropriate or customary in this in this case? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services Director. The, the customary action in that it would be for the applicant to talk with the neighbors and, and structure those meetings because they might have considerations and timelines that we're not aware of or couldn't quite maybe mimic in those instances and may also just cut out a uh, potential uh, third person out of the discussion to allow more communication between the two and that. So usually it does not involve the planning office in those discussions, but we can serve in that if, if necessary. Thank you, Jeff. Um, David Carter, Commissioner, uh, forgive me, Mr. Chair. Uh, Commissioner Shanklin, does that uh, does that uh, satisfy your your question? Very good, Luke Sinclair, Chair. We have a motion um, to defer for uh, things set forth by. Commissioner Carter in the motion. Do we have a second? Commissioner Rexrode um, seconded by hand motion. Um, does anybody have anything they want to say before, any commissioners have anything they want to say before we vote? Not seeing any. Um, so uh, Jeff, would you mind taking the role? Certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you very much. Thank you uh, to the neighbors and other public commenters that stayed on and also to Mr. Lawler and Mr. Colburn. Appreciate you guys handling so many questions um, and good luck. Um, Luke Sinclair chair, I don't remember if I said that, it's late. Uh, so that then concludes the regular agenda items. I'm looking at this right. Um, but we do have some miscellaneous uh, items of business, or I guess one. Um, and that's to consider uh, some appointments to the uh, Metropolitan Planning Organization Policy Board. Um, and so 
Commissioner Struckoff and Commissioner Sands were both um, on the uh, were both the Planning Commission appointees on the on the MPO, um, and they obviously have moved along. And so we need to uh, consider who else to put from our group on the board. And we we need one city appointee, one county appointee. <clears throat> um, and so I guess. I have uh, a couple of nominations to make, uh, and I, just to check a point of order though, Jeff, does it need to be two separate motions or can it just be one? Jeff or two, two nominations or just, can it all be handled at one time? Uh, Jeff Craig Planning Development Services, we would advise to take each nomination independently to allow for separate votes. Okay, Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you. Um, well, so for this purpose, I guess I would, um, nominate for the county um, appointee uh, on the MPO, Commissioner Shanklin, um, and would either entertain other nominations or uh, um, a second on that. Commissioner Carter, I see your, Carter, I see your hand up. Uh, David Carter, Commissioner, if there are no other nominations, I would second uh, that nomination. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Any other comments on this or nominations? Very good. Uh, Jeff, could you read the role on that? Jeff Craig, Planning Development Services, certainly. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yeah, yes. Commis Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yeah. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes, and thank you. The motion passes eight to zero. <laughs> Luke Sinclair Chair, yeah, that's a good point, Commissioner Willie. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin, for being willing to do that. Um, and then <laughs> that leaves the city appointee, and I would uh, nominate for the city appointee uh, Commissioner Carter and am happy to hear other nominations or a second on that nomination. Commissioner uh, Butler. I'm seconding it. Motion or the nomination is seconded. Luke Sinclair Chair. Any other comments before we vote? Not seeing any. Jeff, can you read the roll? Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrud? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Very good. Thank you both. Uh, Luke Sinclair Chair, thank you both very much for your willingness to serve on that board. Um, that's all the things that we have on our agenda. Jeff or anybody else on staff, is there anything else that we need to consider? Um, any other business before we adjourn? Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. I just wanted to pass along a note that uh, Tanya Voigt sent me today that on the Douglas County Zoning and Codes website, they have a drop-down menu that includes information related to text amendments to start kind of showing uh, links and getting uh, that set up for public feedback. So I just want to put that out there for the commissioners to know so you can stop by there to see the amendments and the, and the feedback processes. It's still a little, from what I understand, a little bit of work in progress, but it's getting to the point where it's about to 
be turned on and, and ready to go. So I just wanted to make you all aware of that item. But otherwise, that is all the information we have this evening. Luke Sinclair, Chair, thank you so much, Jeff. Excuse me. Um, do we, uh, unless anybody wants to talk about anything else, I entertain a motion to adjourn. Commissioner Ashworth, is that a? Yes, well, you, so moved. <laughs> very good. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Chair, second. Commissioner Carter, by a hand wave. Um, Commissioner, sorry, Jeff, can you read the roll? Certainly, Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Butler? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Very good. Thank you all so much. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. See you next month.